1: Live. So
2: first of all, to all assembled, all who are with us and all who are listening, all who later download the archives, I want to thank you, and I want to wish you all a very happy holiday. I see I've been joined by the one, the only, Mr. Isaiah Fee. How are you doing, Isaiah?
3: I'm doing all right.
2: so I'm ready for some you, football. So, you just... You just finally realize that the best guy in the secondary is Tolliver, huh? For LSU. Don't judge. I just I was watching some of their old
3: games and I started to notice him a lot more than uh, White. And
2: I he's been a better player. Javius White from the time he arrived in practices before before <laughs> he played his first game, he was their best player at the secondary. Uh, and I've never understood the excitement about Tredavious White, quite frankly. I think People
3: have him as their number one cornerback for some reason. Yeah, yeah, I yeah.
2: was yeah. listening he's, to the 3000 draft
4: podcast. I was
2: listening to
3: them because, uh, you know, it's been around draft time. I like to hear what other people's opinions are. And they are high on Tredavious White. He's not I in my top five. He's not in my top seven.
5: But Desmond
3: <laughs> King. Desmond King, though, I like him. If it wasn't for him, I would not have noticed uh, what... I can't pronounce his first name, but Ashley out of
2: Iowa. Because Ashley torched him. Yeah, they have a lot of... People don't get too excited about Iowa's defense, but they have a very loaded defense. I mean, not a lot of... maybe probably only one first-rounder, but they have a lot of guys who are going to play at the next level on that entire defense. They have really good linebackers. They have really good defensive linemen they we're going to go into the in more detail i see also jim coburn is with us and i believe we've been joined by a very special guest mr ryan turner is that you ryan me i don't know this is richard oh it's richard okay yes. wrong wrong text okay that's um, <laughs> okay <laughs> no problem uh richard is a person who is recently coming on in a sort of a part-time capacity to consist of draft services to lend us some more help in the Big 12 because some stuff going on with uh, your friend and mine, Mr. Nolan Lake, and I'll be connecting the two of you guys to talk about some things. But uh, the Big 12, speaking of stamp your ticket, somebody's going to have a, the golden ticket. Uh, obviously the team with the inside track to the golden ticket is Oklahoma, but a lot of people are sort of assuming they're going to survive bed long. That that game called Bedlam for a reason, and um, our friend Nolan, Nolan Lake, who is an Oklahoman, will be in person at that game, and he'll be writing up a piece about that game as well. Uh, Richard, for those who don't know you, and I guess I'm probably the only one who really does, tell people a little bit about yourself and um, what's been going on in the Big 12, at least from your standpoint this year. Well, I have a unique perspective. I know a few of the uh, inside track on actually – one of the teams playing tonight with Baylor and uh, my background had a little bit of sports background for, oh, 20 years or so ago and and kept up with it a bit and had uh, just fortunate enough to to have uh, an opportunity to get back in and watch some some things on an inside level. So actually uh, becoming more from a perspective with uh, with, uh, those top tier teams that I follow with, especially with, with Baylor. But uh, living here all my life, it's uh, in the DFW metroplex area. And I have a pretty good perspective on everything, and and uh, have had the opportunity to see quite a few um, individuals and and teams uh, live in, uh, and of course follow them. So that that kind of little bit of a snapshot, and, and hopefully it'll help some people yeah, out sure. and have a, a little information. Is we're kind of waiting here for a lightning delay. Yeah, I heard that there's some pretty scary weather things going on. Well, no, it's been just nasty, uh, just a nasty day. A few little small lightning showers going through the Fort Worth area. I didn't get a chance to go to the game tonight, but uh, it should be a very, uh, very interesting game tonight. Uh, I actually think that uh, the conditions actually will help. Uh, I believe the Baylor side this evening with uh, because of the offensive of line with. Uh, Spitzer Durango and Blake Muir and Kyle Fuller, four seniors and uh, a junior. This is a—they're pretty much the heart and soul of the team now on that offensive side. And with Chris taking over at uh, quarterback, he's still. This is actually his third year in the system. He was a redshirt. Yep.
6: Mm-hmm. They redshirt uh, pretty
2: much everybody. Um, <laughs> in fact, pretty much all of their here
6: the right. I was going to say
2: I'm going back and through my mind. The last time I think they didn't redshirt a quarterback was before Bryles was what, Blaise Maskey I think?
5: Was yeah, I think guy. something like
2: that. Well, and uh, uh, with, with this coming, you know, with Jared Stidham coming on this year was kind of unique with the uh, positions they were doing when they were, were able to uh, land him off that, you know, well, once he'd be he committed to Tech. And well, my interesting thing is that he, he was the only reason he didn't get redshirted because that was sort of a stipulation of him signing, right? You know, I, I really don't know the inside of that. I think that, that uh given the situation where Bryles always usually carries three quarterbacks, they do have a walk on as well, but uh, you know, typically that's something that never comes up. Uh and the with with that in mind, I think that because of his where he came from and the connection there from the Stephenville side that it, it made it a, a a pretty good situation for for Jarrett to be able to come on and try to compete, and and you know, with with what Miles usually does, so again the the system is it, it is adapted for uh, people with more experience, and he's been able to build that up now over the last seven or eight years, uh, even in the offensive line, which is uh, again, what I think uh, you know will will be a very uh, very good situation for the. Any quarterback that uh, that goes that way, and it kind of fits hand in hand. So uh, I think with with Chris and what people don't know about him, he is an extremely uh, I, he, he's Cam Newton basically. As far I as hear he's was. very bright, and I hear he's super athletic. Wasn't he a track as well as uh, football and basketball guy? <laughs> you know? as, as far yeah, he was more uh, you know recruited at, athlete wise, dual threat. Uh, Right, and uh, in that I, I can't remember right offhand his exact story uh, on there, but uh, when he came in uh, in in meeting the young man, he is extremely just a great individual, and I had the opportunity of watching some of the practices and the scrimmages. He he's always there for his teammates, uh, even whenever they you know decided that they were going to burn uh, Stidham's uh, red shirt and and have him go ahead and and basically compete this year, and they decided to go ahead and move Chris around. They actually tried him not just at wide receiver, but at tight end as well, because they had dismissed one of the other uh, kids off the team for violations of team rules, and uh, the tight end position was a little bit thin. And, of course, everybody knows the Laquan McCallan situation (laughs) there, but, yeah, he's he's more really a – come a very good blocking back out of the, out yeah. Of the back. Yeah, so. he's he's a very effective blocker. <laughs> he's very effective But Chris Chris brings that true element of a option type old school uh situation there uh, as far as on on his running capabilities. He's extremely athletic to get very intelligent and a great you know, just a great kid. In, in meeting him. So anyway, I think that the conditions tonight and with uh, Baylor's offensive line, I I really believe that uh, we, we could see the old Texas style beers, <laughs> beers come sure. in and rather than the.
6: <laughs>
2: well, I mean, so, Bryles was raised up, you know, in triple option. That's what he, he ran himself when he was playing for Bill Yeoman at Houston. when I mean, he was a wide receiver. Yeah. And and with his, with all the Texas connections it kind of took me back 20, 30 years with, the Bill Yeoman type.
6: Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's
2: all the, the what went on. So, but anyway, that gives you a little background there. And uh, one of the other things I can tell you, again, I, on tonight's game, I, I think Shaq Linwood probably is going to try to play, <laughs> but I think Devin Chaffin is uh, is probably going to be a bigger key because he's more north and south runner. Uh, Terrence Williams, we probably will see a little bit more of uh, tonight again because of uh, uh, of that. He he hasn't. Uh, carried the ball that much again because of his inexperience, but Jefferson's a little bit smaller of a guy, more of a scat back, and with the turf and the conditions the way they are, I think we'll. If, if Shock has some problems, we'll see a lot of chafing and, and maybe even some some Williams, and, uh, and we'll, we'll see. I think we'll we'll see Baylor trying to try to pound it out and run some you know read option quite a bit, and of course they're going to take their shots. I mean, <laughs> 10 miles is going to want to take yeah. shots. Yeah, you can get one on one, and uh, you know. And anyway, that that kind of what I see. But uh, the backup quarterback for tonight, in case something did happen to Chris, would be Lynx Hawthorne. He used to play at uh, at Round Rock, and I think his uh, brother actually was quarterback at Division Three in UMHB in uh, Felton, yep. and so. If something were to happen, you could see number seven, links Hawthorne <laughs> back there. But <We> <laughs> it doesn't happen. But anyway, that'll that gives you something to you know go ahead and take up the airtime. No, it's fine. No, first of all, I I, I was glad you you because I again thinking you have some insights that most people wouldn't have. I people always say that you know quote unquote uh, plug and play or uh, you know turnkey. If they had to go to a fourth quarterback, that'd be a real test of just how turnkey a system is. Because okay, I can see how through the first three quarterbacks you might not have much of a drop off, but I'd be shocked if you can go to quarterback number four and still do the same things uh, yeah, I believe we'll see a different playbook and 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 if you followed it very close, which I have with uh you know with with Seth back there, it was a totally different playbook uh and and with him knowing the offense uh you know it, he he was ex- Seth is extremely good at reading defenses it's it's very very big key for 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 artists being able to read the defense and and Seth is really good at it jerry needs the time to develop that but at the same time he has you know he's got great football intelligence and in for what he does and he was able to of course uh, come in early last year which uh made a made a big difference and unfortunately i think because of the fact that you know, playing in in the Big 12 with with some of the athletes that they have uh, on defense, uh, you subject yourself to some pretty good shots. And I think, you know, with with him, his physical ability, you know, he needs another year to probably get that stamina and and the strength and conditioning that they really uh, try to get into place there. So, it was unfortunate that all of it happened for, for both ways, but at the same time, as we've seen last year, oh, um, maybe you never know. Maybe you just need to have, go through three quarterbacks to make the playoffs. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> well, it, it is an impressive thing to see just how many guys are able to go out there without there being a huge drop off. I mean, I would agree that there's been. It hasn't, It's not like there's been no drop-off. They, there's some things that they... Said, they trimmed back some things. They simplified some things. They do some things differently, and they're, they become more run-heavy, which I think is probably a good thing. <laughs> a great yeah, with Scott Linwood. Is he playing well, this Linwood's game? a talent. Yeah, he's a talent. As we discussed, he's a talent. <laughs>
6: uh,
2: he gives them explosiveness, and then, as you said, they've got a big back or bigger back that they can go to. Chafin's a guy that can can get you some hard yards. Though Shockley is mean, not afraid. And then they can of. throw it to... Sorry. Go ahead, Isaiah. Sorry. I mean, and then also, if they
3: can't establish run, they can sling it. They're like saying to Katie Cannon, uh, Corey Coleman. I mean, their offense is one of the most explosive in
2: college football, if healthy. Uh, but I guess that's the question of health. Well, even when they're not healthy, they're one of the most explosive offenses in college football. Because do you know of Trevon Boykin's playing? Trevon Boykin is not Boykin, well from what I've heard that he's he is making a go of he's it. He's going a go of it? Well he's yeah, well God bless him then. He's tough as nails. Uh, he's he's probably forty five, fifty percent. Um, so if he's going, he's going, you know, on guts basically, which who knows, that might be might be enough. It, and we've seen we've seen you know stranger and, and and more heroic things happen. And Boykin's a great, athlete. he's a great competitor. He's so uh, and another super kid. Uh, I mean, you couldn't have a, a better representative out of Big Twelve with with Boykin and uh, in, in what he brings to the table uh, from, from down here. And um, you know, it, it's just uh, of course this matchup was being looked at you know, from early in the season. And things, you know, it's amazing how everything does change. I guess the question I have for y'all since uh, uh, as far as around the perception of uh, nationally, here's what I see in, with some of the things that are going to be taking place. I can see quite a few teams actually in front of Baylor taking a loss. I really think Baylor's got a very good shot tonight, and I I, I do think they will pull it off. tonight. Really, I think that happens. Well, if, if it does – and let's just say some of the Big Ten happens to fall, and uh, I, I can see three or four teams in front of them. Would there be any case and scenario with Oklahoma, if Oklahoma does win, Bethlehem, which, you know, they're, they're favored to do so, which means nothing, though, actually in that contest, but if they did, is there any? <laughs> they were favored be, by three touchdowns over Texas, and, you know, <laughs> what, what did that yeah. do for them? So, uh, is there is there any scenario that you could see? Let's just say the unthinkable happens and three or four of these teams actually do fall with some huge upsets. Would would a committee actually consider a Baylor and Oklahoma with a conference? Well, here's here's how that probably – I'll tell you the scenario that might make that – it's not going to happen. But here's the scenario – the only scenario where it would probably even be considered. You would have to have Alabama uh, get knocked off in the Iron Bowl – by Mississippi State. And then they would need to... Alabama is a team that could get in with two losses, though, because of the great love and respect that they have for Alabama yes. within the committee room. But let's let's sort of walk the scenario through piece by piece. So Alabama drops the Iron Bowl. Then, but then they... And then they get beat by Florida, because that's the only way you get... You have to get three losses on Alabama to completely eliminate them from contention. But... Florida would then have to, would have to lose to Florida State in the game that's coming up and then beat Alabama. There's not as much love and respect for Florida this year as there is for Alabama almost well, every year. Um, Florida, uh, then what would have to happen with Clemson is they would have to lose to North Carolina. North Carolina is number 14 and would probably move up pretty, pretty quickly to just outside of the top four. But once again, if enough teams lose, then that puts Carolina in play as well. Stanford would need to beat, uh, Notre beat, beat Notre Dame, obviously. Which I believe probably is a scenario that I uh, could I see. I actually think Stanford will beat Notre Dame. Yeah. I, uh I, I I will tip my hat if, if if Notre Dame goes in there and Stanford a place they always have a difficult time playing and with some of the the way they played uh, in in <laughs> what Stanford brand I, I I just have to believe Stanford Stanford's the right side in that game is what I see. Damper's approach to winning a football game is like George Foreman's approach to winning a prize fight. I am not going to dodge you. I'm not going to chase you. But I'm going to move towards you steadily at my own pace. And when I get within range, I'm going to hit you with what feels like a side of beef. Uh, so, Jim Coburn, uh an interesting question was asked. I'll be honest, I don't think – they don't have – first of all, I mean, I'll be honest with you, they don't, as you saw last year, Richard, they don't have a great amount of respect for the Big 12 in oh, that absolutely. room right now.
6: Yeah, so, I, I didn't know that.
2: <laughs> okay, I figured you did. Uh, so, Jim, is there any way that you could conceive of two Big 12 teams getting there? And if so, what what do you
4: think would have to happen? I don't see two of them getting in. Um I mean, like you said, you'd need multiple things to happen. You'd need Alabama to lose to Auburn, then lose the SEC Championship. You need Stanford to beat Notre Dame and then Stanford to lose in the Pac twelve championship. You'd need uh yeah, you'd also need Florida obviously losing to Florida State. Uh you'd need yeah, you need so many things. Like I just don't see two big twelve teams getting in the only scenario I see for a big 12 team getting in is Oklahoma. And that's also just because these voters have been around for so long that Oklahoma still has a place in their heart, I guess. Yep. So name brand. (laughs) Baylor, I mean, Baylor is a really, I mean, Baylor is a football program that I put on par with Oklahoma, just based on how much success they've had on offense and defense. It's just that to, to older voters, it's, soon, it's Sooners all the way, you know. Texas and Sooners—that's the conference. And really, you've seen kind of a shift in terms of parity in certain areas with TCU and Baylor. So, uh, I, I just—if there's going to be a team getting in, it's going to be Oklahoma. So, as much as you know, people would like Baylor again. I, you would just need so many things to happen, which can happen because it is college football. But. That's a lot of dominoes to fall. Actually,
2: actually I would—I don't know the, the way I looked at it. Just with the Alabama position, I think if they—if they even lost the conference championship, I actually think that they would could be on the outside looking in. The one that I see the two-loss team, I think Stanford has probably the best opportunity to, to move up there, and and especially with McCaffrey and that that they have going. Uh, that to me seems to be a a, a scenario that I can envision as uh, with with what they did in coming down the stretch and and especially if they could dominate uh, Notre Dame, which uh, you know that that I could see a Stanford two Oscar team you know coming in. I'm not as big on the Big Ten. To me, seems to be very down this year, and all kinds of stuff could happen. Uh, we seen Iowa take care of business, but I have a hard time envisioning Iowa winning the, the the conference championship game. I, of course, I don't follow the Big Ten quite as much, just more peripheral, but that's that's just kind of my take from, from down here is what I see and, and kind of thinking Michigan State you know, has the inside track there, but they themselves have their own quarterback problems, but they seem yep. to be the most complete team and the one that can really withstand adversity would be the way I would look at that. I don't know if that's how y'all think or or or, or not. Well, you, here's the thing. Uh, back to name brands. Ohio State clearly is, you know, a name brand program. And a one-loss Ohio State is a, still a very attractive team. To, whether, whether it becomes down as a – frankly, I still think the SEC is down across the board as a conference. No one wants to hear that. <laughs> but um, but I happen to believe it, to be true. Uh, but the SEC, it's an internal thing, right? Since they don't really do a lot of playing big-time non-conference games, they depend on people believing that their conference games are tough games. And some of them are. I mean, don't get me wrong. They're, I'm not saying there's – I mean, Ole Miss is a good team, right? That's, a, that's just, I don't think that's with, that's disputable. They certainly now, haven't always played well, but they're a good team. Alabama uh, – I don't think I'm as good as people think. Um, I think. I think they've benefited from the SEC being down a tiny bit this year. You keep saying that, Bill, and
4: they keep winning. So, I mean, that's the problem. Well, I what's mean, but, but,
2: who's, but what's their best win right now, would you say?
4: Their best uh, this year? Yeah, this year. Probably...
1: I
2: don't know. One of the SEC teams they played? I, but, but, I, now do you get my point? Do you, you get my point? If the SEC is down, if the teams they're playing aren't as good as we think they are, and yeah, yeah, they beat all but one of them so far, maybe they're not as good as we think they are. Well, and and when you have directional schools giving SEC teams problems, it makes it – you can obviously tell they're – at least in, in my opinion. I think they are down somewhat, and I think it's because of their – uh, a lot of the teams don't have as, as you know, you, you don't have the quarterbacks in in, in those schools it, 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 I, that I believe that, that are really big difference makers, and, and they play,
6: play
2: a little different, different type. So that's, that's just, you know, um, from what I the, would say. University oh, you're talking about the Planned
1: Parenthood shooting. Okay, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I didn't know what you were talking about. Yeah, of course. Well, yeah, that is true. Oh, Bill, are you still there? I start Monday. Um, I, can I call you back? I've actually – I have some people.
2: Okay, okay, take care. Well, so here's what I think the what, – what they'd like to have happen, obviously, is for Alabama to win. That's what they'd like, and they'd like Clemson to win and they they'd like Notre Dame to win. Here, their dream would be for Oklahoma, Clemson, Alabama, and uh and Notre Dame cuz it's the sexiest of the available teams, right? You have got all the sexiest names available, have all would all make it through. Um you'd have uh you know, all basically all regions of the nation fairly, well, except the Pac-12, but to some extent, most of the country would be represented, with the exception of the farthest west part of the country. Most of the major media markets, to some extent, are sort of plugged in if that happens. Uh, and once again, it, it, it's defensible if those teams win. You know, if it's, 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 those teams feel defensible, you don't feel like you've done someone a terrible disservice. If it's Notre Dame, uh, you know, Alabama, uh, you know, Ohio State and uh, or not Ohio State, but uh, Notre Dame, Alabama. Um, what do you call it? Um, Clemson and uh, Oklahoma. And Oklahoma. They feel like they've done their jobs. They would go home happy, right? Hey, we did a good job. These are four really good teams. These are gonna be the games are gonna be good. Now, whether it, those are the four best teams in the country or not. You would feel like you had a good day at the office if you're on the committee, and it and that's how it worked out. Yeah, and and worked
6: out yeah.
2: I, I would think so. Uh, I, it, obviously, from from down here, I think with uh, with uh, Oklahoma and, and Baylor situation, both teams. I mean, Bob Stoops changed his entire offense because. Mm-hmm. Of yep. I mean, they, they offensive coordinator. and He knew he had to. It, it, to, to outscore, I mean, it's like, hey, finally figure out you better score points or you can't win in this conference, and no matter who you are. And, you know, Briles has had now a five-year plan of, of the last five years as he's built up his his depth. And, from you know, you take a look around the country and these kids just, it's a great atmosphere. There's some in you know, what kid doesn't want to go in there and put points on the board, that's mm-hmm. the whole you know that's the whole deal. it's like hey it just makes it and uh if you're a quarterback 100%. or you're a wide receiver, it's how do you not have them at least on your short list right i oh, mean you've got at least consider Baylor if you play wide receiver or if you play if you play quarterback well, you know and not just them, but I mean, you take a look around the conference with with the other quarterbacks that are that are there i mean legitimately in my opinion, and then i've I've watched the other. Your quarterbacks that I know what people, at least in their books, are, but uh, I, I find it you know all of them have some deficiencies as mm-hmm. far as, as something, but but I mean with Baker Mayfield and, uh Mahomes and Mason Rudolph, I mean these guys, you Boykin. know, and, and, you know, you know, Boykin and and you know with Seth. Uh, Russell it's Baylor may have uh, Baylor may have two or three guys who may someday suit up on Sunday. uh, I I, I very well could. Uh, And you know, Biles has had that in his past, but it it goes now with because they have gotten a lot better, you know, they can recruit the better, the better Mm -hmm. kids and they want to come there as opposed to, you know, why would I want to go to, you know, LSU, and let's win twenty to thirteen. Let's put up sixty points a game. <laughs> that that's, I mean, it just it, it just fits. So uh, uh, anyway, I, I think it's great for for the Big Twelve, and and especially me being out here and remnants of the old Southwest Conference, and, and to see the the uprising of, of teams like TCU and Baylor, which is Made a huge impact uh, across, of course, like the University of Texas. Uh, you know, it's just a uh, it, it's fun, been fun to watch and, and to see that, and, and to see what uh, people like Brows and and uh, Kingberry and and he's done and, uh, and Gundy. I think Gundy is a great coach. Oh yeah, he's uh, he's his name has come up as you may know in conversation for one of the many, many jobs. I'm sure he's getting calls from both USC's and probably some other schools as well. Anyway, I'd like to hear some other opinions on other things. That's one of my general expertise, just from down here, because I don't get a chance to hear as much from the people people down on, on this end. And I appreciate you telling me, Bill, and, and the other gentleman, what, uh, who was I on with? I'm sorry. Oh, uh, Jim Coburn and Isaiah had to run, but he may be back on later if he takes okay. care of some some okay. things. Thank, thank you for listening to me, and I don't mean to hog. <laughs> no, hog it's okay. You. Well, yeah. once again, it's good to have you because I know you have some some really good insights into the conference as a whole, and particularly into to Baylor because of your connections to the program. Um, the thing that most intrigues me in terms of how Baylor develops the program is what will happen to their defense. Obviously, when Things first began to turn around there it was really all offense and you know Baylor would you know score in a minute and 11 seconds and then the other team would score in a minute and 55 seconds and then Baylor would score in a minute and three seconds they let the other team score not let but the other team would score in you know two minutes and 14 seconds I mean it was like it was really it was exciting you know and people always talk about the
4: oh it was I mean, I, I just remember the, the RG3. Keith like, Price. Hall, Hall. Shoot,
2: shoot. Oh, that yeah. one. Oh, okay. I was thinking, that, yeah, game, that, was that was the game that was I was
4: watching, and I remember people going, man, college football is boring. Why are you watching it? And I'm like, turn on, <laughs> turn on Baylor. You, man. Like, okay, <laughs> turn it on. Was it boring? Because it was just back and forth, back and forth, back. and the whole game was a track beat, man. And I was like, "Wow, this is crazy! This is crazy, in terms of just enjoyment of you know of things going on." So, yeah. Well,
2: I think I think because of the fact of with Brawl's background, and again, I the way he actually builds, you know, he he always the quarterback to him was the was the you know he's like, if you don't have a quarterback, you can't win. Period. That's his nope. basic philosophy. Yep. Then, then he goes. But I got to have offensive line, so he builds instead of and what he's done the last two years is actually come to the defensive side and 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 make it where he feels like if you have a really good and and dominant defensive line that you can get by with maybe you know instead of what the old way used to be let's put our best athletes on defense well they put their you know have it, with the front line and you try to, you know, try to make it with a lot of zone and and a lot of of other things. And I think Bennett has done a very admirable job this year. I know he's gotten a lot of heat. It's like, you know, hey, y'all are giving up X many yards and this many points. And quite honestly, they turned in their best game of the year last week against Oklahoma State. I thought they were outstanding. But they feel like he does understand. If you stop the run, you got to—that's that, all they, you know. It's like, hey, you give us a couple, two or three stops, we've got a pretty yep. good chance of building a twenty-one point lead pretty quick. Right. The the definition of good defensive performance has to be changed, quite frankly. Uh, if you're LSU and you're playing, you know, Alabama, Mississippi State, whoever, uh, your definition of a good defensive performance is holding the other team to under four hundred yards and. The only other team to under three touchdowns. That just doesn't happen in the Big 12 to anybody except maybe, maybe Iowa State. So, and maybe Kansas, maybe. But most of the time, you know, basically seven times out of nine, you're going to give up over 400 total yards, or maybe likely over 500. And you're going to give up more than three, more than four maybe even more than five touchdowns. And still, that could be a good defensive game. You get you get maybe two extra. You get a couple of turnovers. So you get two extra possessions for your offense. And if you manage to, as you said, get maybe one or two stops where the other team doesn't score. If you've done that and you got two extra uh, possessions, you did your job. Yeah. And, you know, I think Baylor's biggest deal this year as far as replacing uh, was having to replace – Bryce Hager. That's been what their biggest problem has been because they have undersized linebackers to begin with, and they are fast. And they and, and they better be. <laughs> Taylor, and Taylor Young is all over the place, but losing Bryce Hager was a huge loss to that defense. And and they he he was pretty much the glue that held them on. And then and, and I love Billings and uh, I think Oakland this year he. Uh, I I don't want to say he underperformed, but I think he ended up basically trying to key on pass rush as opposed to maybe even you know more less interested in the run game, and it took it really had uh, showed up because the linebacking core was taking such a big hit, and and once you got past that front line, it became you know it, it was difficult for Baylor to stop the run and and uh, and they have plugged those holes pretty nicely, and they've had some pretty good injuries. And, uh, uh, and they really really did a very admirable job, and again, against Oklahoma State and some really uh, huge adversity in the game. where And they just basically dominated when they needed to. It was uh, something that, that we hadn't seen all year out of the, the defensive uh, dominance when it had to come. and And, you know, there was a lot of pressure even in some of the other – uh, teams that, that hey we knew our our defense was going to give up a lot of yards and a lot of points and and quite frankly I don't think they thought that would happen from the first from the first of the season but it just kind of evolved that way but, and, and and this was uh, with the secondary improving uh, a lot uh, they brought in uh, I forget who it was they brought in uh, well, the secondary coach you know Baylor had so many pass interference calls last year probably led the nation in it. And that secondary has really held together very well this year. So it's kind of again putting the linebacking core together, and it, and it came up came up all aces last time. And again, it's just all the things that that I've had more uh, been able to watch it all as the year goes on uh, with that, and and that's just kind of how I see it there for for that. So anyway, I. I don't know if, if anybody else there has watched or you know much of the Big Twelve but uh it is a I think this year you you look at West Virginia and uh West Virginia made some pretty good strides this year. Unfortunately it's like West Virginia and Texas Tech all had to play Baylor, Oklahoma, T C U and Oklahoma State back to back and they lose three or four games in a row
6: and it's like where did that go? So
2: that was just some interesting you know, observations on that. I like hearing again what others from around the country you thought. Is Here's willing. the the one thing, and I'll, I'll let Jim uh, probably finish this part of this this discussion off. The one thing we have to do across the board, and Oklahoma's doing it a little bit, they've got to start scheduling some of those attention-getter non-conference games early in the season. Early enough so that people haven't already formed their opinion that you're soft or whatever it is, you know, that people begin to think. Uh, So they've got to say, hey, Michigan, you're a program on the rise. How would you like to play us a home and home or whatever it is? Now, I know schedules are made years in advance and all that good stuff, so you can't turn this thing on a dime. But to me, that's one of the things that has to happen if Baylor particularly and some of the other schools in the conference want to change the way they're perceived. I think so, and I think that's a fair assessment for that. Uh, one of the things, though, that that uh, Baylor did try to do, they tried to schedule a a uh, non conference game with California in Australia for 2016, and Cal basically backed out of the deal. Right. They didn't want to have any part of it. You know, it, it's 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 one of them other things too. You get to a point where uh, some of the other teams don't want to don't want to participate. And you know, and i and I can understand now that you've got a, a big program, well let's let's try to schedule one of the instead of go to the, you know let's let's try Purdue here or <laughs> something
6: well, else instead Purdue, of instead Purdue Purdue doesn't to help face. to
2: doesn't help to change your perception. <laughs> uh and no, Cal, it's, frankly it's, it's, by itself I mean like I said, shoot from Michigan, you know, and maybe they turn you down but you gotta you know it's like when the the dances over there. You gotta at least walk across the floor and, and ask her to dance if she doesn't if she doesn't know. Well, um, yeah, one of the big yeah that was one of the big deals last year because T C U had scheduled Minnesota and Minnesota had a, a pretty decent year last year. And of course this year it was the where they started at Minnesota and unfortunately Minnesota not that great again this year. The right, right, right. Of this deal were, and of course at the end of last year where you know T C U and Baylor both are you know, hopping up and down that they, uh, you know, and they, it, whatever they were robbed. It, you just saw the. You hear that. I personally, again, I think that yeah, if it, take care of your your business. It, it wouldn't come out that way. And it was. It, it, it's a different philosophy too with the Big Twelve because it's a it, it's a round robin. Yep. You know, every conference opponent is opposed to split. I mean, do you think Iowa could have? Handled the schedule if they were playing the you know Michigan State and Ohio. If they State. had to play Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State, of, of who they played none of them this year, which is why the, the, the committee doesn't want Iowa to make it through because they don't they don't like them. The committee doesn't like Iowa, but if Iowa wins the Big Ten and is undefeated, they can't keep them out. But they wow. are yeah. praying that Iowa loses to whoever <laughs> comes out of the. Uh, but yeah, go ahead, Jim. What are you what are you, what are your perceptions?
4: Well, I think that, honestly, I mean, you know, we were talking about Big 12 expansion uh, a couple months ago. We were. And I don't think that that's a bad idea. I mean, hey, hey you doing just, that. You just had a really
6: good year. Uh, you're looking <laughs> mighty pretty. <laughs> right,
4: right, right, right. But just doing that and getting a conference game. And I just want to do it because it will all make sense to me because you're the Big 12 You don't have 12 teams, which I know is not your fault, but it's just uh, like the Big Ten probably needs to rename their their conference, right, because it's like the Big 14 or, you know, it's like, uh, okay. But I I just think in terms of that, I mean, if you add more teams, which I think there's definitely a few teams that would be interested possibly in joining, and you just keep doing what you're doing, just putting good football out there. And that kind of stuff, and I think it'll do better um but it just it just depends i mean there's a lot of politics, obviously, because there's been talk that certain co- certain colleges, not to name them but are a little against that, and other ones want it, so it's like a big you know one one big team wants expansion, and other team doesn't, but that's just kind of what I would like to see in terms of raising the perception of the conference and just doing those sort of things. And like in like you guys said, getting more out of conference uh games, which it's not like they're not trying, it's just you know, I mean <laughs> I mean I I mean Oklahoma played t- Tennessee. So right. I mean they played an the SEC team. It's just Tennessee just hasn't they don't want to be good for some reason. <laughs> so Uh, You know, they've been kind of struggling a bit uh, as a program. So, I mean, it's just a matter of trying to get um, the right out-of-conference schedules on time, picking teams that are going to be good teams, you know, trying to anticipate those sort of stuff a couple years from now because that's when they usually schedule stuff. But it is definitely difficult to do that kind of stuff, especially since a lot of times these big programs really don't want to go up against, you know, big dogs. I mean, Alabama – I mean, Saban isn't putting Michigan on his schedule. He's not putting Iowa State on his schedule. Like he's doesn't any of that stuff.
2: He's not putting Boise on his schedule. He, and Boise's no. not what it once was. But still, Boise's. He's putting put Fresno
4: State.
2: He's putting Fresno State on his schedule, oh, yes, he, but not Boise. Yes, will. State. yes, good point. So that's the thing. Is when they're stepping up here. Yeah, yeah. Brawls did, yeah. We have I think uh Brawls put on we uh I I wanna say it's seven either maybe seventeen or eighteen. I know they have a home and home with Utah. And they put Utah uh is on the schedule I think for a home and home. They're, they're seventeen or eighteen, I can't remember what, but that that was finalized, you know, uh, on there. So that that was obviously they, they see the need to do that and they could schedule it far enough out. But there you you know it, it just makes a lot more sense for at least the way they have set here, and, and again with the Big 12 not having a conference championship, which you know in their defense they're not really allowed to do it. And now I'm sure if they lobbied right. the NCAA hard enough, they'd let them do it. But but at this point, they're saying no, you don't qualify for it. So what do you want to do? Let's let's go out and let's go ahead and try to schedule our first game of the year against you know uh, like you said a Michigan or a. Or, or somebody else, and, and you know it, it becomes a kind of a. I don't
6: know.
2: I I, I kind of take it where if once I know I'm good enough, I feel like I can run the table in the conference. Let's let's roll the dice and do that. We got just as good of a shot uh, at doing that as opposed to to trying to schedule somebody on September the seventh. That you know, <laughs> and your your program's not not where you want it to be. And uh, any, anyway, I think it. it like you said, a lot of politics. Maybe if we did actually have, uh, obviously the the playoff scenarios, like every other division does, and every other person on the face of the earth that uh, <laughs> that plays college football, then uh, you wouldn't have to schedule incarnate word and in and some of these <laughs> other schools. That, yeah, uh, that that that's like, what hurts you is when they say, "Oh, you guys look great against Lamar." You know, they, um, they don't. Want- and that's the Carolina situation. I mean, well, you know, and we say the same about you know. I looked at Alabama, and they had like I uh, know Tennessee, Chattanooga, and their brothers, and that was yeah. yep. uh, They all play them, you know, because but they'll play that one. Just like I think it was Alabama last year. It either opened up was it against Oklahoma State or Texas Tech? I forget which which it was, but you know, but it was a middle of the run pack our Big Twelve. You know, they didn't want to schedule. Uh, a Baylor or a TCU at, at that point once, once that they get into that field. You know, it looks like, okay, uh, here's our options. Let's go to the bottom bottom of the Power Five. Let's see what we can dredge up there. It's still where we used to have years ago when you didn't have the, the scenarios, and then you, you might take a shot at doing that. You know, we, we used to have some of the a marquee matchup. but normally it was a Notre Dame, Florida State. You know, when Bobby Bowden was building his program, he wouldn't face anybody anywhere. Exactly. They used to be that that school, just like, like I said, Boise. I mean, that's how you build your program is when you get to a certain point, you say, I want to take that next step. And the next step means grabbing people's attention. And so, I mean, Baylor has people's attention at this point, but like I said, there's a level of respect they don't get yet, as we've clearly seen demonstrated. And the SEC – teams, particularly the name brand teams like Alabama, LSU, and normally Auburn, get a certain amount of automatic respect, just the name, just the name, literally. You know, the laundry, as as Jerry Sanfield would put it, people just respect the laundry. They see that name, they see the colors, they see the uniforms, and they get automatic respect. Can you all answer me this question on the SEC? Jim, are you, you – Sound like you're pretty good SEC on on that. Why is Les Miles what is the actual deal with Les Miles? Why are they so disenchanted with Les Miles this year with with what's going on? I mean, I, obviously I know they've underachieved, but uh, I mean he seems like one hell of a good coach to me mm-hmm. in the years.
4: And uh Sure. I, I don't have I really don't have an answer to that. All, all I can say is boosters are funny people
0: and hmm. sometimes
4: they have epiphanies where they're like uh, wow, we, be, we we keep getting beat by Saban and Les Miles obviously isn't the guy because he can't take down Saban. So, let's just try something new. That's all I can really think. Or maybe Les Miles did something which I have no idea. But I, I could only see it as these boosters going, we have to take down saving something that Les Miles hasn't really ever really done much of, so buy Les. We're going to go get a guy that can do it, or that we hope right, can do it. I mean
2: I don't know. It seems like with that position, and by the way, we just have the fact Baylor's up to 14-7 on, on TCU in the first quarter. It's been pretty entertaining just watching, talking so far, so it's we're off and running still. <laughs> it's
6: just, yeah. But
2: I see, I, I just thought a lot of Les Miles as far as what is football intelligence and, and everything, but I guess maybe the saving factor and what he carries into it, uh, I, I don't know. And the perception here, of course, the, the Big 12 feels like, you know, the SEC is always that, it's like, you know, you got to be kidding me. And TCU pretty much carried that chip on its shoulder last year when they just drubbed. Ole Miss and oh, yes. you know, whatever bowl it was there, you know, and it just it, it, one of them things that you, you're going. You know, you got. I, I just can't imagine Les Miles with what he he's meant for so many players, all to the next level, and what he's done. That that he's fallen that far far back, of course, I've seen it a lot. You know, when Mac Brown was with Texas, and Texas kind of that same program, but still, I. I could, uh, you know, Mac Brown started losing five and six games a year instead of, you know, three or four. And, you know, I guess maybe that's a, like you said, maybe the booster situation. And Obviously, I've seen that in, in other other programs. But, man, you know, LSU always – he's got to do something to get the Odell Beckhams every year to end up going Well, yeah, there. he has the Odell Beckhams every year. I mean, he has one named Trevin Durrell right now. The problem is they – they have two real issues. The main issue is Saban. Um, I think we've said it we've all said it at least once. They look over at Alabama. Here's what LSU's boosters, fans, et cetera, do they look uh, probably the administration as well. They look over at Alabama and they say, Oh man, look at look at, at, at Nick That
4: bear Bryant is so good. Right, they look at I'll Bear Bryant. Take they, look down. At right, look
2: at, they look at they don't say, you know, wow. What's our program doing? Look how many games we've won. We had a national championship not that long ago. That's not what they're doing. They're looking over at Alabama and saying, man, look at Alabama. Look at Saban. Look at, look at their defense. Look at their whatever it is. And they're just you know casting their eyes longingly at Alabama. Why haven't we won the SEC West in Three years or whatever it is. That sounds sort of silly when you say it out
4: loud. Exactly. We had Leonard (laughs) Fournette. We had Odo Odo Beckham Jr. We had all these other things, and we couldn't beat Alabama. So if it's not the players. (laughs) See what I'm saying? I mean, and now I don't agree with that opinion, but boosters get epiphanies. Like they just, like I was telling you, Bill, like with, you know, Mark Rick, you know, Georgia, I was thinking to myself, one of these days, one of those boosters is going to wake up and be like, I got to fire him, you know, for whatever reason. And sometimes it's a bad loss. Sometimes it's just going, wow, he's been here forever and we haven't really done anything. Even though I don't agree with that. I mean, Les Miles is a heck, hell of a coach, probably one of the best coaches in college football. Yep. But it's Nick Saban. Like, what are you supposed <laughs> to do? It's like measure yourself up to Urban Meyer. It's like, wow, we're, we don't have Urban Meyer. Well, there's only, like, there's only one Urban Meyer. Like, you can't, you know, or Jim Hart. Like, it's it's a tough situation to be in where it's like, why can't we have that? Well, because you're not that. And you're trying, but I, I doubt you're going to find another guy like that on the street. So, uh, I don't know. But it's just a tough situation. And I, I don't agree with the decision, but I just feel like that's what it is. And they look at LSU and go, wow, we need to be better than Alabama. Are they going to be? Probably not. It probably might even get worse. But they'd rather think, be worse for the ball chance uh, they might actually be saving.
2: Do you think it? you think it's be is is because the uh, for lack of a better term, their offense seems pedestrian all the time, and they can only and they always seem to score seventeen points. And I mean, is that yeah? I mean, well, that's that's been LSU for yeah. You can go before Saban. I mean, well, Charlie McClendon. You can go to <laughs> Bill Barker. I mean, they haven't had they haven't had a a Spurrier. They haven't had a. There you go. Yeah, but Bryle. they haven't, they haven't had, had Steve Spurrier. That's yeah. okay. Yeah, they've always had these guys who were sort of you know old school, rock ribbed, defensive minded you know, whoever you want to throw out, um, going back to Paul Dietzel. I mean, they haven't had, you know, it'd be fascinating to see if they got a guy like Mike Gundy to see what, what would happen. You know, now, of course, the first time they lost one of those shootout games, they'd start, you know. <laughs> they wouldn't, What happened to our defense? <laughs> right, exactly. So the first time that happened, after all that excitement, because they'd be – They'd be thrilled at first. It's like, oh man, look at this! We're doing this. We're doing that. Woo! Hey, we had a four-yard passing game—the first in our school's history, or whatever. Woo! You know, they're all excited until, like I said, first time we lost the shootout, people start grumbling. You know. <laughs> so yes, that's what would happen. But yes, they—they are—they—they—they—it's it's envy. I mean, that's the short answer to what happened. It's envy. They are envious. That's the. Uh... It, it, you, you can see it, I guess, pretty much in, in most of the conferences there, I guess, with, with uh, different programs, and especially uh, when you see the rise of what, what we have here in the Big 12 and, and now the coaches that have come in here and they've actually you know, changed a lot of the faces in college football. And, and you know, and, and and actually I see one of, the, one of the things that has happened, you know, the SEC, other than Texas A&M, which, you know, is pretty much of an air raid, top offense. Yeah, but Texas a m is basically a Big 12 team that's just playing in the <laughs> SEC.
6: <laughs> They're not really an
2: SEC team, Richard. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs>
6: no, they, but they've had
2: they've had their moments, in, and yeah. in, and uh, in, uh, you know, it, it, of course, with all the the ridiculousness of of what goes on in in these things, you just you know, if you see the the face of of college ranks especially changed and, and I guess what I was getting to, you know, one of the things that came up on the committee uh rules committee last year where they were trying obviously whenever Dick Sablin was not very happy with with uh, <laughs> Gus Malzone, you know, throwing the little pop pass with his with his uh defense or offensive lineman two and a half yards down the line of scrimmage and
6: you know, didn't form that work <laughs> <laughs> And but but that rule you know, it, it
2: failed. It, you know, he got beat on that, and they said no. We're and it got, and they had thought that it would probably pass, and uh, and yet we now we still have the the makings of of these you know spread and the, the spread teams that run these type of uh, you know offensive schemes that, that send their linemen two two and three yards down the line of scrimmage legally. And it fools everybody into thinking it's a run, and then you pass over them, and then
1: well.
2: Nick Saban kind of gets upset about it <laughs> and wants it changed <laughs> to the NFL rules. But it didn't work out that way, so I just see some things that, that have changed, and it seems the SEC may be one of the last, uh, and I don't count the Big Ten in that in in that regard. But uh, the SEC being the power conference that they had for the last ten years and fifteen years. And, uh, you know, and I hated to see Steve Spurrier go because I think he was a great innovator and in, in in what brought up the the SEC. In in my opinion, I loved Steve Spurrier at Florida. I thought he was uh, I thought he was just absolutely terrific. There wasn't anything that I didn't like about Spurrier. But anyway, that's just kind of what I was seeing, and it may be a change in dynamics of the way people are seeing and
6: out kind of the
2: way this thing's going.
6: Yeah, so that that's
2: that's how I see things sort of playing out is that there comes a moment of critical mass, I think is what Jim was saying, where a team that's not the team, you're you're not Alabama, or you're not, you know, back when Texas was Texas, you're not Texas. You know, when USC was basically dragging its, you know what, all over the faces of the other schools in the pac 12 Somebody said, we're going to win this arms race, and originally, you know, UCLA went after Neuheisel, didn't quite play out, though that was the first thing he did was he poked the bear. That was, the, remember his press conference? He announced in his press conference that, you know, the USC, you know, dominance, the hegemony, the, I can't remember what Turby used, but it's over, you know, as of this moment okay. it is done.
6: <laughs>
2: <laughs> now, it did not work out quite that way for Mr. Neuheisel. But, uh, but now, you know, they've it's they've it's even Stephen at least in Los Angeles, uh, in Southern Cal with, you know, with U- USC and, and UCLA. Um, we'll see, obviously, when well, this particular. I year mean,
4: UCLA kind of has had the edge over the last couple of years. Recently, but, yeah, right. Recently, but it hasn't been like so big of a margin that it's like, oh yeah, USC's beaten, you know. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs>
6: yeah,
4: I, I, you know, it, it's just a tough situation, but the way I look at it is the boosters are just, I don't know, that that, that last loss, I guess, against Alabama was like the final straw, I guess. That, and they, yep. And they got really angry because they're like, why can't we, I'm tired of being a loser, you know, type of mentality. She's uh, not really a loser, but but that's just it, their mentality, you know.
2: Well, it, it always was that way, even in the, in the old, you know, it, Texas Oklahoma wars, you know if you couldn't even whenever they were out of conference, you know big eight versus Southwest conference if you didn't beat Oklahoma you're, you know you're done and you can't beat it's the other way around too and I mean it's just one of those top deals, regardless that uh I guess there are certain obstacles that you have to get by <laughs> so, I don't know it's it's pretty interesting to watch from from that perspective again uh and 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 I trust me, I know all the the, the arguments uh, against Big Twelve, and but what in watching everybody else, uh, it just there there's there just doesn't appear to be to, to see that much. There's not that much difference, I believe, no. in no. any of these, any of the, especially this year. If Clemson you know, were in the Big Twelve, I mean, Clemson is essentially a Big Twelve team in the way they play football. Quite frankly, Yeah, they are absolutely. <laughs> um, they are. But they were the big people would have a different perception of them. But they're the same team. They would play the same way. Uh, they would just get their kids from a different part of the country. I guess the only real difference is the kids would them would not be from Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina. They'd be kids from Louisiana, well, mostly Texas, but maybe a little sprinkling from Louisiana and someplace else. But Arkansas, maybe for flavor. But they, 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 look what they run. I mean, when they, you know, Tony Franklin, Rich Rodriguez, you know, the guys that have have influenced their offense are all guys that are basically of that same sort of mindset that dominate, on offense that dominates the, the Pac-12 landscape. And the one thing that Clemson does do is they get more, you know, stud hosses on defense than you tend to see on most Big 12 teams, with the exception of maybe Oklahoma. And as you said, they've done a good job in terms of the front four with Baylor. Uh, they aren't quite as loaded – once you get past those guys, they it, when they start getting like top tier four and five star cornerbacks and safeties, that's and they start you know doing some things that people like you know like hey wow they helped somebody to twenty points you know I mean does it matter if you win fifty to thirty or if you win Thirty-one to twenty, or I mean, I just get wins, but perception really. This is the only time when perception perception doesn't matter when it comes just to winning the game. But when it comes to somebody selecting you for this whole committee thing, that's when perceptions come into play. That's why you need to do things that are a little more like what they what they are expecting or respect. If you don't, I think think you're right, especially you know, obviously you know, like art, uh, Coach Brow is almost just you know, thumbs his nose to him and says, I'll do what I want. Yep. And, you know, we'll run the table with whatever. That's all he that, that's that's his that, that, that might is, be what you might have to all. do though. <laughs> and and you know, and and that's where he's kind of been there. But I certainly see it. I think that's that's a very valid point again in in trying to do that. But you know, it was only realistically even even with R G three, whenever he was here, you know, the they still, they weren't a top-tier program until no. afterwards. So, I mean, no. you know, they were only been a top-tier program really for the last three years. Yes. And, and it's because of what RG3 and, and Coach Riles did and some of those super exciting television games where they, where exactly. no defense was played. Very 70, 70, yeah, the West Virginia's seventy three sixty eight 73-68 game. It <laughs> yeah, was. Well, uh, the the bowl game against Washington with, yeah. you know, Keith Price and he just, Throwing the ball all over the place, but the and as, as Jim pointed out, the I mean there, there was there's four or five games you can think about from those that that last couple of years that RG3 were there, uh, and even when Nick Florence was there, quite frankly, they mm-hmm. still were a team where they were getting it done with two and three star kids. They weren't yeah. getting the four and five star kids. So. Mm-hmm. But those five-star kids are watching those games at home. And so a couple years later when Baylor comes calling, it's like, oh, man, you guys played the most exciting game I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah.
6: And that was self point.
2: He says, come play for, you know, we're going to lead the nation in scoring every year. You know? <laughs> You're going to get to play, you know, even if you, uh, just like almost every every game this year, just like, uh, you know, when Jarrett came in played behind Seth, Seth never played. Uh, you know, uh, up until the Iowa State game when he got hurt, that was the longest he had ever played in a game. <laughs> They're already that far out in uh, in front; it's, they get a chance to play a full quarter or a
6: full half,
2: and you know the kids like that. So it's uh, it makes it a wonder. You know, you build your program, and that's isn't that what you want to do? Let's get far enough ahead and get our young guys in here, and let's get some more game experience. And it's 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 just been interesting to watch and develop and and quite well, Frankly, it was very, very nice fun fun for me to watch here for about the last five or six years how this has developed and 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 being part of it and I enjoy I certainly enjoy it especially talking about it with somebody from outside of the the perspective because I know what the perspective is around the nation but I like to hear what somebody has has you know what they what they feel about it, it you know themselves as opposed to somebody on television which you you hear all the time but. Somebody that that actually follows it and and does things like you do, as far as evaluations for individual players and 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 uh, how the uh, what they do and ha- and and what you're seeing with the with those kids that come in that, that are you know from three star to five star and 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 what they're actually doing to take their their games to to these teams and uh, it, it's just a uh, I appreciate the, the opportunity that you that you have from the, and that you can uh, uh, you know give me some insight on that. It's very very useful for me too. Yeah, well, we'll we'll move on from Baylor at this point and from the Big Twelve as whole. Well. Um, but I'm glad we we did touch on this because you know the Big Twelve's destiny is playing out you know today and tomorrow. Uh, this is a conference. As I said, that has a an opportunity ahead of it because well first of all, the conference sits on essentially a gold mine in terms of football talent. Um, most of your conference is in Texas mm-hmm. and even the schools that aren't in Texas are in Texas in terms of their recruiting. Everybody in the conference needs to recruit Texas well, yes, you I can't do. do anything in the big twelve if you don't recruit well in Texas and Oklahoma is a national recruiter, they get kids from you know, Florida and California and, you know, Ohio, wherever, name a place. So they're a national recruiter. Oklahoma State's a regional recruiter that gets the occasional kid from outside of the area. Most of the Texas schools basically work Texas, and if they get a kid from someplace else, you know, nice. Um, But that's not – their focus is Texas, and I would that's what I would do too. I would try to carve out my part of Texas and try to make sure I got all the best kids from there and then occasionally pick off a kid from outside of that area. And you can build a really good program doing that. You don't have to, you know. And you don't have to take a look at you take a look at Kansas. You know, as is is, is yeah. much of a doormat as they did, and Charlie Weiss just decimated the program. Yep. And uh, you know, they still had. Uh, I think I think what I was looking at, they had forty nine scholarships. Is all they gave out. It they they couldn't get rid of. I mean that that you know that nobody wanted to go there. And David Beatty, you know, he, he has ties here in Texas. And you look at his roster now, and it's got 35%, 40% guys from Texas that go <laughs> and play in Kansas. And he continues to. And he's got great roots inside here in Texas. And he'll continue to get these Texas players. And that's a big key is is if you can recruit here in Texas. If you can't recruit in Texas, you're not going to be successful in the Big 12. I thought that. No. No, and maybe even the SEC for that matter, because you know, used to the SEC would get every five-star recruit, you know, Alabama or or even LSU or somebody else. They they would all come in and filter for those guys, and it's not quite that way anymore. So, right, what the fact that Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Baylor, and TCU are all good at the same time. And what that means when they're all good at the same time is that those Texas kids have some really good options right in their own backyard. They don't have to go to LSU. They don't have to go to. I mean, you know, Texas A&M is still an option, obviously. And they're technically speaking, as I said, in the SEC. But, <laughs> <laughs> but once again, it's still an in-state option, um, and that's why it was such a big get for the SEC. They already had sort of a foothold recruiting-wise, but they didn't have a school anchoring them in Texas. And so they that's why they wanted Texas to in them so badly, is now they have an actual outpost established in the state of Texas. But, yeah, an uh, embassy,
4: yeah.
2: Right, an embassy, <laughs> right, exactly. Well, as far as then the SEC goes, is Alabama still the, the – I mean, is that still for all Southeastern Conference, or that region of the country, is it still – that way or is, is there many... Well, I mean, improv- it's that yeah. way in several ways. First of all, they still are the top recruiter in the nation. They are they usually have the best recruiting class in the nation, and even when they don't, they're never outside of the top three or so. I wish Donovan were here so you can tell you how far back you'd have to go for them not to have a top five recruiting class, but it's it's been a ways. It's, you'd have to go pre saban probably to the Shula era, I'm guessing, uh, was the last time they didn't have a top five national recruiting class, so the, They're they're just a destination school for every kid, potential destination school for every kid in the country. You know that was the school that Jameis, You know, I mean, like even the kids that don't go there, they always that's you look at who their other school was when when they you know when they look at their little list of schools. It's hard to find a four or five star kid that didn't have Alabama somewhere on their list. That's how established they are in people's minds, even when they aren't that good they're just established in people's minds that this is a place I should consider going. Right. And now they are good, obviously, and have been, you know, for many years. But there's no kid that doesn't at least have, like, Alabama. I mean, you know, Reggie Bush took a visit to Alabama. I don't think he ever thought he was going to go there, but he took a visit, you know. I mean, so even kids that have no – that don't think they're going to go there, at least, they, you know, they they pick up the phone when, when Coach Saban calls. You know what I mean? Like there's no kid that's like, "Nah, I'm good. I'm not going to talk to Coach Saban." There's not a kid in America that does that. So that's, that's that's one of the things that Alabama has going for them is that every kid in America picks up the phone if Coach Saban's calling. If they're in their coach's office and the coach says, "Oh, it's Coach Saban for you." The kid says, "Coach Saban." Even if you have no interest in Alabama, that kid gets all kind of tingly and excited. This is a guy that's yeah, is yeah. there anybody that is there anybody in that SEC that is uh, that is challenging that at this point? Are they that far? Well, about at one point game? it was Gus Malzahn, <laughs> but well, yeah, at one point you're right. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> look how quickly things change. Um, I mean, that was the team I picked, frankly, to win. I had in my in the SEC pregame show that we did back in August. I picked yeah. I picked Auburn to win the SEC. Well, we all we all picked Auburn, so. Um, <laughs> <And> I think <laughs> and and I think I but I, I I I took my boldness to a new step. I then predicted Arkansas would would be number two in the conference, in the SEC, in the uh, SEC West, and I picked mm-hmm. Alabama to be third in the wow. SEC West. Well, uh, so yeah, that's I went that far with it. I was obviously wrong, but the the point I'm making is that. That was the that was the the threat. The, not that Florida isn't a threat. Don't get me wrong, because Florida's Florida. They still have Florida, right? That'd be the state that they're in. Florida. That's one of the also right also there. Also, the other right, right, right there with with Texas in terms of just you know a just target rich environment for football. So they've got to worry a little bit about them, but they don't have a quarterback right now. So that buys them a little bit of time, you know. So to not worry as much. I mean, mean, not to say that the coaching staff isn't worried, especially coach say, I mean, I'm sure he's whipping his team up into a frenzy and convincing them that Florida is essentially, you know, the, the greatest team ever to walk the face of the earth. But he knows deep within himself that he's got probably at least one more year to not really have to watch his back in terms of Florida. But that could end soon if Florida, Florida gets their quarterback back and, you know, he comes back and and is better than he was before he got suspended. But essentially, he knows where he is, right? I mean, he knows the situation is. It's Alabama. It's one of the hardest yeah. places to coach, not because you don't have everything. It's because you do have everything. Right, like, that's why it's because everything is there. All the money you could ever imagine needing, more money than you could ever imagine needing, more resources than make any sense. There are literally NFL teams that have a weight room that does not match up to floor. I mean a floor to um, Alabama's weight room. There are guys who get to the NFL depending on which team we're talking about who say, Wait a second. This is our weight room <laughs> you know, because they came from Alabama where the weight room goes on and on. I mean, it's it's like a joke when you see the size of the weight room like they could have every single guy on the team working out on two machines at the same time, practically, as big as their darn weight room is. It's crazy. It's insane. It just goes on and on and on. It's like a, like, it's like a joke. It's like a conjurer's trick. Like, how can this be? How could your weight room keep going on and on? It just goes on and on and on. You could, you could literally probably have 150 players and they're all working out at the same time. It's just cr- ridiculous, their weight room. Uh, I guess the other question, I guess, going up to the – the then, as far as what your perceptions then of the Big Ten this year, as far as in, in what they've done, uh, quite frankly to me, it's like Ohio State was looking for a time to lose, <laughs> and it's underperformed all year, and, and then the wheels come off, and everybody starts, you know, like, human nature, I guess, from what they did and performed last year, which was pretty incredible. feat what uh, I mean to me, it seems like the Big Ten. With with their uh, where they pull and, and especially skilled position players up there seem to be uh, other than some running backs, it seem to be fairly you know non. I, I guess not up to the same level as it is down here in the South, whether it be SEC or or uh, Big Twelve or you know quite likely well, even the Pack Pack Ten. Sure. Well, he, right. Here's the first thing he still does a great job of recruiting Florida, not surprisingly. He has great relationships still with all those high school coaches down there. You don't, you don't think they don't turn out to, to see him when he shows up? When he, <coughs> that's another one of the, the tingle names. That when, when, when this guy, you're in the coach's office, and you hear that you've got a call from – that's one of those tingle names. There's only a short list of guys whose names make kids, no matter – even if they aren't thinking about going to that school, they just tingle. The kid gets all excited. He's one of those names. If Urban Meyer calls, I don't care if you committed a thousand times over to school X and you have, when you were 11, you knew you were going to go to this school and you've never wavered. Your commitment's never wavered, but you still get excited when someone tells you he's, he's, he's Saban's one of those names. Mm-hmm. Urban Meyer one of those names. When Pete Carroll was in college coaching, that was one of those names. Coach Carroll's on the line. Oh, I'm going to Texas, but I'm going to take that call. <laughs> right? So the tingle names, the, the names that actually get kids all, you know, the, the you know, sweaty palms and rapid heartbeat, that's a short list, actually. Um, Gary, Gary Patterson's a fantastic coach, but he's not a tingle name. If you're a kid who thinks he's going to Penn State and TCU calls, you might take the call, but you're not like, oh, my God, Coach Patterson called." As good a coach <laughs> as he is, he doesn't make kids all over the nation get all <laughs> when he calls, right? Right. Um, Mark Helfrich, right? That poor sucker. You know, he's a really good coach, but he's following. <laughs> he's following up. He's following up Chip Kelly, right? And that, how do you follow that act? First of all, I mean, Chip Kelly is, you know, new I mean, uniforms. Well, that too, but I mean, like people people forget. Here is how powerful an influence Chip Kelly had. People forget Chip Kelly's not in the, the the college Hall of Fame. He might make it someday into the, the Hall of Fame, but they just had a Hall of Fame coach. The guy that hired Chip Kelly's in the in the Hall of Fame, but no one remembers Mark Bellotti at all. Mike Bellotti's just been oh yeah wiped from people's memories. He was an amazing coach. <laughs> he was a truly
6: great coach.
2: Man, that uh, that's just something inside there with with that. Uh with some of the areas that I see that that seem to be uh, again lacking in some some areas that that uh, around the country, uh, I don't know the Pac-12. You know, I kind of a lot of the ties there with uh, uh, Todd Graham uh, with Arizona oh, State. Okay. I think a lot of it. I mean, and you see the uh, the the actual tentacles uh, coming out out of you know Art Ross here from Oklahoma with Phil Montgomery at Tulsa, and then. And Bowie Green, uh, I forget his name now. Dino he, Babers. Yeah. And, you know, they go, they come there and they take a program off that hadn't scored two points in 10 years, and all of a sudden they're in the top five. In all, I mean, you, you can see the influence. It's a different than the air raid of the Mike Leach era, which is, these are, you know, offshoots of, but they're totally different concepts. And right. that's the way it seems like it, I don't know if the SEC will ever get to that way, but, I mean – Oh, Gus Malzone, probably the one. I mean, Malzone and Brawls are extremely good friends and very close and seem to be uh, there. Uh, you know, the Malzone offenses tend to do the same things. And when they click, just as they did when they had Cam Newton, that, that offense was unstoppable. But you still have to have the correct personnel to run it. And you put somebody that is extremely good back there, it is unstoppable. <laughs> that's, that was that was what the, the – uh, the portion of it was it's it's it, it, it's extremely creative. That that you know I see it evolving maybe in the you know quite a few of the other areas. Maybe I'm sure it's just a a phase and a cycle, but I, it seems to be one that, that that still has fresh legs from the from just the last five years. And and I just see the evolvement back from from the years. That that's going that way. I don't know if you guys feel that or not. I mean, I just I see this thing where where we're going to see basketball on grass when Purdue, you know, made that with, with Drew Brees when it was in, it in with Joe Tiller and and you know those those type of things that that are hey you don't have to have you don't have to have the best to start out. You could actually though we can put some points on the board and who knows maybe we can pull a few upsets and then increase your recruiting ability, and it end up with better players. And well, and that's, better, and that's why. That's why these teams aren't running, you know, Maryland power I anymore that we're talking about. That's why you <laughs> aren't running. I mean, no, I mean, there's a reason that you're not doing that. Hey, we're not just loading up and running. You know, we're not running Veer. We're not running. I mean, even when you were running triple option, it was the same reason. It was just you're spreading, but you're spreading in a different way. And when you're running Flexbone or you're running Wishbone or whatever it is, you're saying – hey, I can't get 300-pounders on my offensive line. I can get 260-pounders. Now, if I try coming downhill and just knocking you off, off the ball with my 260-pounders, I'm not getting you anywhere. But right. if we do all this slanting, and, I mean, once again, I mean, I ran beer. Uh, the last time I played offense, before I got beat, pretty much being a defensive back exclusively, I, I know what it's like to be a beer quarterback, get hit in the ribs on every play. But the um, – <laughs> That's my memory of it. I'm sure there was something else I did, but it seemed like that's all I could remember. Uh, but the point is that you, could, you don't need behemoths on your offensive line. You need kids that, you know, can run. You need kids that remember what their assignment is and are in really good shape. You've know, you got to be pretty well conditioned if you're going to be a, you know, a flex bone offensive lineman or a severe offensive lineman. But... <clears throat> The, the thing that's happened now, like what, it, it, offensive style-wise, with the exception of a few holdouts in the SEC, and you know USC and Stanford, Stanford more than USC, uh, USC has adopted some spread principles, they still are large, they've sort of mel- married together some pro-style and, and spread principles, but most offenses, I mean, the, the war is over, you know, <laughs> the spread won. Like, it's not, it's not even debatable. Uh, even, I mean, like I said, you know, Michigan, I guess, is sort of going in the other direction. But the, the vast majority, is 128 teams now, I believe, in the last, last, last count in the FBS, and there's about six triple, like true triple option teams, and there's about six, you know, true pro-style, you know, whatever term you want to use, you know, two-back set, whatever term you like uh, to describe that team. And then the other 116 are running some version of a spread office. So whether it's more the Rich Rodriguez sort of flavor of it, whether it's the more, you know, Mike Leach flavor of it, whether it's the Kevin Sumlin... Um, Uh, and Art Briles, Texas country fried steak version of, of it, you know, where it's a little more downhill running, a little more, you know, a few other sort of wrinkles that they've introduced to some of that other stuff that people did in in the, in the traditional air raid. That was really just a stretched out West coast offense. I mean, not to get into the sort of history, but, but that's really what it was. I mean, Mike Leach learned a bunch of, essentially West Coast-ish kind of stuff from some of the old – he went to a coaching clinic. He and his boss at the time, Hal Mummy, um, Mm -hmm. went to watch uh, Norm Chow and some other people teach what they did at BYU. And then he sat down with his guys up at Iowa Wesleyan all these many years ago uh, and said, okay, that's cool, but what if we did this? You know, what if we completely got rid of the tight end? What if we – or pretty much completely got rid of the tight end, and, you know, because the stuff they're doing at BYU, it was spready, you know, in terms of stretching the defense, particularly those what they call uh, oblique stretches, uh, you know, triangular things that, they, that Bill Walsh taught. But they were doing it still with a tight end on the field, and very often, more often than not, split back. Good old split back tee with a with tight end. And basically, he just said, "Well, get rid of the tight it all together, and you know, we'll turn this back into another slot receiver." And, yeah, and they throw it, they they'd throw it seventy-five times a game, and they would half of them be four-yard passes and clear out. That, yep, that, it, it was a, it was a concept that hit down in the high schools, and uh, with, oh, you know, Graham Harrell's father, that it brought it in in his high school here in Texas. And
6: yep, that's it. I mean
2: it just it. it, it, it and, it, was, uh, and it, it wasn't even new then, to be perfectly honest. I mean, I don't know how far back you want to go, but Highland, Park, Highland Park High School, yeah. right? Um, yeah. Coach Russell, Russell's runts. Uh, he, he also coached at the Masonic Children's Homes uh, team, <laughs> where the average offensive line was 140 pounds. I mean, this is, you know, years ago, but even in those days, 140-pound offensive lineman wasn't very impressive, you know, even, even in the 40s and 50s. So he had all these frankly, underfed. I mean, as a way to put it, these kids were literally scrawny. I mean, people, not just wiry, but I mean, like, not getting enough to eat because they lived at the Masonic Children's Home. So he had to, he's like, I'm not going like, to, you know, I'm not going to go up there and maul anybody. So, he, he, you know, he whipped up some stuff. He'd read some of Dutch Myers, Leo Myers, This coach at SMU, had Davey O'Brien and Sammy Barr, yes. read up on what they'd done, and then he spread it out even more. You know, and did it from T instead of from single wing, because what Dutch Meyer was doing. People always talk about shotgun, dude. Single wing is all shotgun, you know, basically. So uh, this isn't. People treat certain things as being new. Oh, I hit all this shotgun spread, dude. What do you think single wing was? That was eighty years ago, but. Um, and, the, and as, as it invo- evolved, and, and just as we come in the sixties, and they again with the fear, and then let's evolve it more, and let's get all three guys in the backfield, and let's yep. run wishbone. And- yep. It's <laughs> just the <laughs> Right. And-, and elements of those things. It's funny because uh, there's an offense called the Ski Gun offense, short for, it means uh, coach up at Muskegon, uh, Michigan runs it, and there's a coach down named Lou Johnson down in my neck of the woods in Deep Creek High School. Uh, Western Branch, sorry, Western Branch High School in Chesapeake. And what they've done is they've taken elements of – they do a lot of stuff from, you know, that sort of pistol set. And they've taken elements from the old wing tee, elements from, uh, you know, even old single wing and a lot of that old fly offense, you know. And they've taken elements from – and you see people using bits and pieces of the stuff they do even up to the professional level now. A lot of that orbit motion and all these other things, the sort of ghost motion or you call it, the sort of, you know – get the defense to look over here, you know, the prestidigitation and, you know, wah, you know. of uh, So the old ball handling stuff, because they have some of those spinner motion things that you would see in old single wing offenses where the guy spins this way and there's a guy going this way, spin back the other way, a guy goes that way, you know, is the ball in my right hand, is the ball in my left hand, you know, Do I hand it forwards, I hand it backwards, you know, where is the ball? So that stuff coming back together with the spread elements going three and four wide together with um, – you know, having a fair amount of quarterback run and he just basically trying to do a little bit of everything, put it. And then having the option to, and this is what, why the tight ends are exploding at the NFL level, if, and, and not to sort of bring up Jim's team, the, the Raiders, but if I were the Raiders and I had Marcel Reese and Michael Rivera and uh, Clive Walford, there are times that I would go full house backfield with those three guys, my tight ends, in the backfield. And then I have the option of just coming downhill, power running with them, and handing it to, you know, Reese, who is a very skilled ball carrier. Mm-hmm. Or I can send them all out because they're all good pass receivers and all good route runners. I could, boom, now I'm five wide with three big bodies. Or, I mean, I could do all these different things. This is this is why defenses and I—that was my position most of the time that I played. Once you know, I stopped being a very, very below-average pure-option quarterback. I was a defensive back for the rest of my playing career after that. <clears throat> so it's hard to play defense anyway, right? The uh, the offense has sort of the natural advantage of impetus. They're starting whatever's about to happen, and then you add to that that with the up-tempo and all these other things are now locking you into being on the field and they can do things that you can't really counter. It's hard to communicate at high speed. So, yes, teams like Baylor, teams like Clemson, teams like Texas A&M, uh, Ole Miss, whatever, these teams are would be difficult with the talent they have anyway. They'd be difficult no matter what offense they ran because they're really good teams. Because they had to look at the guys they've got. But you add to the, the fact that the tempo and the eye candy and the whatever else uh, how, and getting athletes in space. And that's really the whole point of the offense. And we can move on from this, I guess, at this point. But the whole point of all these offenses, and we can talk about linebackers, those poor, poor bastards, uh, because I mean, it, this is an incredibly difficult time to be a linebacker. You know, God help you. Um, oh yeah, you know? in college
6: football, especially, Oof. <laughs> very Oof. much so. Oof. God. That.
2: Oh. Well, since since you said that, is there? Do you feel like there's? Both of you feel like there's been a decline in in performance for a linebacker in college football, and mm-hmm. it's with all the invent with all the age backs and the nickel backs that, that are they're actually more predominant, and especially. You don't see the six three two forty linebackers like you used to. You don't you just don't see as much of this. And oh, has, has there been a decline in in you know I guess linebacker performance and, and what we used to consider you know the the stout linebacker teams in Oklahoma you used to put out on the in field or even a, Alabama, Texas, right? I mean, right, I yeah, of course, right, right. Well, I'll I'll let Jim field that one.
4: Uh, I think it's 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 interesting because you know as as you said the, the main thing I think was what happened. The linebackers have got smaller, and I don't necessarily know if that's a good thing though, because <laughs> there's all these sort of like you know they're getting smaller, you know, two two hundred and thirty pounds or two forty, two twenty five to get faster um and and affect games like that, but I I don't necessarily think linebacker play has gone down. I just think there's more of an emphasis on solo tackling. There's less of an emphasis on having to shed offensive linemen uh, at the point as much anymore. Um, it's really about playing in space. And I think the linebackers that can play in space and have shown to be able to play in space and just be really good solo tacklers, those are the guys that are, It's honestly, there's all these linebackers, and we'll probably get and talk about a few of them, but there's guys who 10 years ago would have been strong safeties. Yep. You know,
0: and now they're
4: linebackers. So um, I just think that we've slowly turned the linebacker position into the strong safety position. Yes. (laughs) So There's an NFL team that has a starting will linebacker who's
2: 211 pounds. Now the last that used to be true in 1955, you know what I mean? Like, you know, there yeah. were will linebackers who were two fifteen and all kinds of stuff, and Mike linebackers who were two seventeen in the 1950s, you know. But now it's going back to them valuing your ability too, as, you, as Jim had said. Run? Can you cover? Can you run? If God forbid Reggie Bush or Darren Sproles or CJ Spiller comes out of the backfield on a wheel route. Can you stay up with him? Can you at least pass pass him off to a safety? Can you at least get? Yeah, him meet
4: him at the point. Yeah, right.
2: Because basically making it a necessity to have the speed. I mean, try well, to match speed. Well, think about with, this. With Dick Butkus, first ballot Hall of Famer, right? One of the greatest players yes. at his position ever. Think of he'd be a two down player if that, right? Nowadays, or he'd change positions, you know, just maybe, maybe he'd be playing a different position. But think about what would happen if Dip Buckus had to cover Reggie Bush out of the backfield, or LeSean sure. McCoy, or, I mean, name somebody, you know, whoever you want to out there. Right. Think of the kind of fun Jamal, um, uh, what's his name, um, Jamal... Um, Charles would have with that,
4: right? Come on. You make them look funny, you know? People would make fun of Dick Buckets, which would be kind of – I wouldn't suggest you do, but it's just a totally different sort of mindset, which is why I think it's interesting that there's people who still evaluate uh, the linebacker position at the college level and the NFL level with certain mindsets for the position that I think needs to change just a little bit. Not a lot, but – a little bit. You still want, you know, you, you don't want your linebackers getting completely gobbled up and engulfed by offensive linemen, but you also, at the same time, some of the things you value in terms of actually being able to collapse the offensive lineman into a, you know, into a play, that's really, that guy may be able to do that, but is he going to be able to cover. And that's a different sort of, you know, and there's only a handful of guys that can collapse, Offensive linemen and cover guys at the same time. There's only like a couple of guys that can do that, at least today, because that's just such a rare thing.
2: Yeah, it it seems like uh, as it is, you know, used to we would just see so much. You just don't see very much straight man coverage at at any level now, and everybody is playing the zone. And trying to cover, you, know, you have the combination in you know whether it be cover zero, cover two, or uh, you know any any of those combinations. You it's we used to, you would see a full game where you know you had nothing but man coverage. Oh, I couldn't imagine. Al Davis's Raiders, yes, right. I mean that they never came out of man. They came off the bus playing man. They got back on the bus playing man. That's what they did. And I don't think that obviously could obviously with the rule changes that they have that the <laughs> it, it, it couldn't survive. It'd be tough. I'll put it that way. <laughs> 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 <It'd> be- <laughs> <laughs> it just, yeah, You still see a lot of it if you have, but but at it, it any any level, the it's just like there. You they just don't man coverage is going to get beat most of the time if you have if you have a pretty good receiver and a pretty decent quarterback that can put the ball at the spot. It's just, hey, you know, used to with Daryl Royal would always say, you know, you put off the ball in the air, then there's only three things that could happen and two of them are bad. And now it's like there's four or five things that could happen and almost every one of them are good. (laughs) So, (laughs) whatever you're going up against that, with the rules changes and what's what's taking place. And the involvement of that, and I think it's made the defenses, of course, have to make Make up for everything with speed. I mean, the offenses are speed, defenses are speed, and it's it's an incredibly fast game. Yes. And that's just yes. that, at least that's my perception of what how the involvement of this is. I mean, yeah, I look at defenses today, and just you know, you're amazed at how fast they are, and and uh, at least to me, at how much ground they can gobble up. And you you get a, a some team that has a bunch of big b us back there, and it's just like they're standing still and they get picked apart regardless of what they do I mean, it's it it's to me just again I guess part of the involvement of where we're at today in today's level but yeah, and we we will get into the the linebacker class and talk about what these guys can do and what they what they have to do nowadays and how it's maybe a little bit different from what it used to be, but the 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 thing that I, I I look at and have looked at, right? I mean, we just talked about Buckus, and we've talked about, you know, some of the guys that started to come up in the 70s. I mean, Bobby Bell's a guy that could survive. He was a ridiculous athlete. He was, he was a silly, silly athlete. I mean, yeah. I, I don't have his testing numbers because you, you couldn't get stuff like that from the guys in the 60s. But from what I've heard from people that played with him and against him, he could have played – wide receiver. I mean, he was that good of an athlete. Um, and, you know, he's about almost 6'4", about 228 pounds, and occasionally would bulk up a little bit more, but usually kept his weight around that. And nowadays, he'd be probably, probably somewhere close to 240, but he could still have the speed because, you know, modern uh, weight training and modern conditioning would allow him to probably not lose anything if he could put on 12 or 14, 15 pounds. Guys like That's that. That's probably better. Right, right, exactly. Guys like that would thrive. Like he, you know, he would be even better now, you know, because the things he – and he still was a really good coverage linebacker. I mean, that's what allowed Pittsburgh to do what they did. Pittsburgh almost never played with a fifth defensive back. And when they did, it was a kid named Tony Dungy, whatever became of that kid. But usually they stayed in their base because – Look at their linebackers. They weren't big guys. They were little guys. I mean, even for their yeah, era, yeah. Jack Ham was generously listed at two twenty-five. Uh, I have it on good authority that he never weighed more than two hundred twenty-three pounds in his life. Uh, Andy Russell was about two hundred eighteen or so, and in uh, Lambert, uh, I mean, and, um, and Lambert, scary as he was, was a smaller guy, two hundred seventeen or so as well. So, you know, they their bigger linebackers were. Situational guys, Lauren Taves, guys who come down, Robin Cole, who come on in short yardage and goal line. Those guys are two hundred fifty pounders, but they're starters were between two hundred seventeen and two hundred twenty-five pounds max. And that was probably the forerunner of what we have actually today. I guess. But they could cover.
6: Cover ground. Jack,
2: Jack Ham was essentially, uh, as, as Jim said, almost like a quasi safety. He could cover every tight end, every running back that you could name he could run with them step for step that's uh, very interesting on that the perspective on that that's uh it, it's you getting getting into those levels and, and I guess then the answers that always come up then with the uh, and uh, as we started in then to the tight end era where you started uh, getting with uh, Kellen Winslow and started getting basketball
6: players. But, you yep. have enough
2: tight to, end to counteract that. It's like, okay, and, and evolving all the way up now to, to what we see in tight ends that, that can be dominant. And it, it, it's amazing to see that evolution to, to where we're at, which I love the tight end play. I love, the, uh, uh, you know, the Antonio Gates that and, and Jimmy Graham that brought that. You don't see too many more like uh, – Oh, well, even with, with Jason Whitten, you know, he's more of the old school type. Well, he can do uh, he can do it all, right? I mean, he's, he's one of those guys who full service, full service tight end. If you need me yeah. to be a third offensive tackle, I can do that. Do you need me to, you know, get you a four-yard catch on third and four? Do you need me to get up the seam and get you 17 yards? All those boxes are checked. He can do everything. Even some of the guys that people call dominant or playmakers – can't do everything. Jimmy Graham, oh. God bless him. Freak athlete, enormous target, but he's not full service. He doesn't oh do everything. <laughs> he doesn't do everything. Um, and he truly is. You know, he's essentially a, a, a sort of a basketball player playing football in so many ways. Darren Fells, I mean, a lot of these guys, you know, as you said, have strong basketball backgrounds, but aren't full service tight ends. When I first started watching the game, there was Fred Arbanis and. Uh, you know, Dicka was sort of on of the last legs with Dallas. Uh, you had Dave Casper, who was a terrific receiver at the position. Oh yeah, those were they were all similar. Uh, they, I think we had. Line uh, uh, draws playing now. Uh, well, Dallas had, had Billy Joe had Dupree point and point Gene Fugit. Right, well they they had Dupree and Fugit, and they were both really good blockers and pretty good receivers. Um. But, I mean, J.V. Kane was going to be one of those sort of – but he, he died young, unfortunately. But he was going to be one of those sort of freak athlete six, 5 guys. He was one of the first guys I can remember like that. In fact, it was J.V. Kane who died young. But he was with um, um, Coriel when Coriel was still with St. Louis when he was coaching the Cardinals. Uh, he had Jim Hart, you know, big-arm quarterback. He, um, he had Metcalf, you know, one of those mm-hmm. really good pass catcher, uh, elusive – Terry Metcalf, you know, not ter- not blazing fast, but very elusive, and like I said, he had that, that one of those sort of forerunners of these tight ends we're talking about in J.V. Kane, who sadly died of a heart attack, I think, young, very young, twenties in his twenties, I believe. But the um, this is sort of the you know the first version of Air Coriel, you know, was actually in St. Louis, and then he obviously sort of perfected it, as you pointed out. He got his his better version of J.V. Kane, who didn't die young. Uh, when he got uh, Kellen Winslow, and then he had Chuck Muncie and James Brooks, and uh, you know, great receiving core, you know, Lofton and Jefferson. I mean, he just, you know, that that was when he was obviously in his glory as Dan Fouts back there. But the the and that's when you first began to see teams legitimately have to pull one of their linebackers, you know, because <laughs> uh, it's like, okay, you know, the nickelback wasn't just some backup, some scrub at that point. Better. I mean, that's when it began to change because your your third corner in those days was kind of a guy that wasn't that good on mo- yeah. most teams. The Special teamer, usually, usually you know, your free safety would have to take take up for for that with with with. And back then, when the safeties were so, I mean, they were brutal type players that, mm-hmm. that enforcers. Yeah, and uh, so once again, it just uh, the. The variations, as you see, how this it it. I was trying to think of the, the uh, who was our the tight end. Uh, I, 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 I had to get it out of my mind with uh, play for Saint Louis all the years, and then he dropped the pass in the Super Bowl with that. Oh, you're talking about Jackie Smith. Oh, the yeah. God bless his life the sickest man in America. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean he was the epitome of the tight end. I absolutely loved growing up, and and always thought Jackie Smith was great. Yep, and you know, just that, but and he was that typical type tight end, of, you know, or, or, but, you know, as you said, uh, as great hands and whatever. But that was kind of what everybody shot for was that type of tight end, yeah. right? And it, as it went from, from there to, as you were saying, the the other uh, is it, it, it evolved, and where we get to today, I mean, could you imagine the Jackie Smith types playing tight end in for, where? Oh, well, I'm sorry, you're not six eight and you're not two eighty
6: and just not, well, there's just a
2: place for guys like him, but he wouldn't be a star or even a starter. He'd he would be, be a spot player. He would be a right. spot player. Yeah, there's a place for guys like him still, even now. But he wouldn't be right. He wouldn't be a, an all-pro. You know that that was, that, that part is, is about to change.
6: A hall of famer. <laughs> no, he
2: wouldn't be an all-pro. He wouldn't be a hall of famer. He wouldn't like I say he wouldn't even be a starter. Um, he would be you know your second or third tight end. And you'd bring him on in certain situations. And he'd still, because he's such a craftsman and so dependable, you know, you'd, he'd get 30, 40 balls you know, his way, but he wouldn't be a starter. And it, it's funny, you there are teams where your second-team tight end will catch 30-something balls. Yeah. There was a time when you're, the all-pro Fred Bandits types were getting 34. Oh, and that, that, that was like <laughs> a huge year. That, would be, if, that was a huge year.
0: would have...
2: How many? How many did uh, did uh, Jimmy Graham catch? Like a hundred and hundred eighteen or something, something like that? Something like, crazy. Yeah, I mean the the, 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 the numbers just the don't number. make sense anymore, really. <laughs> 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 I mean, and you have then you have your guys now, and the you know with which I love Bill Belichick and how he how he is of all the offenses, and you know now with the small slot guys and and those guys coming in and and. You see that being copied everywhere, and I think that's a, I still think that's a lot more room to go in that as we see more and more uh, teams with that smaller slot guy that can your possession-type receiver. And if you get a free athlete that does that, again, with Wes Welker that came up, and, and then now, of course, Julian Edelman. And you see these guys throughout the league that are starting, and you know, I still think that's him, it's the infancy. Yep. Uh, with other teams doing that, that they can utilize it to to and their, you know, to cover up a whole lot more weaknesses whenever you you know, you lose a lot of stuff. And the thing is, forty years ago, those guys would have been primarily kick returners, punt returners. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> yeah. Billy White Johnson yeah, right. would be killing people nowadays as a slot receiver, but because nobody wanted five eight receivers in <laughs> 1970s, he was a great return man, but he. I, I bet he probably has what, maybe eleven hundred, eighteen hundred, what receiving yards in his career? I probably. Mean, <laughs> yeah.
6: <laughs>
2: but I, I and I really like that position out of the slot, especially with the smaller guys. And of course, then you then you got your six four, six five guys, and you know your Kelvin Benjamin's and Dez Bryant's that are just behemoths that can. It's like how do you, how do you defend that if you get the ball? You you can in a lot of situations. So it's uh, it, 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 and, and uh, you know, again I I see where Belichick had while well, with Welker in there, it's just I thought uh, as they change, you know Belichick's one of the only guys who didn't care. If they they ran it one time or two hundred times. It's dictated, you know, it, it was never set in stone. Once you see with Belichick with how they and what he did. It was like he always knew how to attack and still does how to attack the best way to and of course I guess it helps if you have Tom Brady, but at the same point time it's uh, with what he does on everything it's just absolutely 26. Well they, they went eleven and five with Matt Castle. Exactly. We just, we just saw what Dallas did with Matt Castle, right?
6: <laughs> Over
2: <laughs> and, so and still, <laughs> So there you go.
6: <laughs> yeah. Um that I'm, tells I you, think,
2: I, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to get off here, guys. And again, I appreciate y'all letting me talk, and I'd sure. like to hear more on the um, stuff. I've got people waiting on me, where we can try to try to scream here at the it's the Baylor TCU game. And, and,
6: <laughs> yeah, right.
2: Uh, see, it's it's been pretty wild to watch at this point. But uh, I, I want to thank you, Bill, and, and everyone else there that you have on, and hopefully I'll be able to. Well, before uh, you go, and I'm yeah. expecting obviously a, a write up on the on the game when you get a chance, but, and I'll send you some, some things about that, but before you go, tell people where they can find you if they want oh, to follow well, you or keep up with you. Well, actually, actually, uh, you know, on my Twitter, it'll be, you can follow me at Rick Ridgeway. It's uh, on on Twitter. Really, that's the only thing I have right now. And, and uh, you know, if, if, if I'm happening, if I happen to have any, I just, uh, at, at this point, I still haven't done a, a whole lot from what I used to in the past. I used to write up a lot of evaluation of things. That's been many, many years ago, and just recently started. And we will have I will have some more coming up, uh, especially with some things coming down the road that I'm not uh, I'm not going to say at this point. Sure. in time, But it'll be interesting. I know. Maybe you'll be able to. To there is something that that is very near and dear to me that will will come out and and I think it'll be great for a lot of people throughout the country you'll see some some things there but uh uh yeah just I, i'll follow you on twitter i enjoy what reading all the tweets and everybody that you have in your network that i like uh you know just uh, following off of there and making comments and that's that's kind of <laughs> basically all all i'm doing at this point in time i haven't written anything in quite some time. But, uh, you know, it's, it's something I've I did for for a lot of years back in the in the early '80s, and it provided some analysis for for game situations for for some media folks on ESPN. But that's been years and years and years ago. So as I got older, it kind of went by the wayside, and and uh, you know, it's now with being able to see some actually getting into the social media type setting where you can do something. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of an archaic and old dinosaur, still trying to earn, <laughs> learn some new new things, and not you know not too computer literate, <laughs> and don't type very fast either. So, but thank you for for that, and I appreciate the the setting, and, and it's been a pleasure. And uh, thank you for allowing me to to come on, and and we'll, I'll do it again sometime, especially as a uh, time permits. Sure. Just, well, just, it's and, been a and, pleasure. Well, well, thank you very much, and, and, and uh, I do appreciate it, guys.
0: You right. have a great
2: evening and a, a great uh, rest of your show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Anytime, it, it was right. always a pleasure. Thank okay. you. That was uh, Rich, Richard Richard, Richard Ridgeway. Say that four times fast. Uh, Richard Ridgway, who will be contributing uh, over the probably the next few weeks some uh, pieces and some insights from inside the Big Twelve, particularly things that involve and touch upon the Baylor program where he has some, some connections. The, we spent a little more time on that than I thought I would, but that's fine. Uh, one of the things we, we've just gotten to was how difficult it is to play certain positions, and one of those positions is, of course, linebacker. And The, the linebackers are being reduced not only in number, but as Jim just noticed or noted, in size. There are a few 250 pounders left, but it is a few. There, you don't see. I mean, at the time with every single big program, you had at least one 250 pounder at, you know, in the starting lineup at Michigan, at Michigan State, at Southern Cal, at uh, Illinois, at I mean, name big school, name of big school, yeah. at, least, at least one of those guys is 245, 250 pounds. Yeah.
6: Now those guys are edge rushers.
2: Yes. Yes, they are. Right. So, the linebacker class, I I don't see anybody excited about it. I'm I'm excited. Well, exactly. I guess you would be the exception, Jim. (laughs) But for the most part, people are like, oh, the linebacker class. And I'm like, wait, there's
4: guys in the What are we (gasps) going to do with all these Good linebackers. <laughs> uh, like, they just are so terrible. Like, this is probably one of the better linebacker classes in a while to be honest. Yeah. I mean
6: yes, it I'm is. trying to
4: think, take a moment of going back in my you know, my brain <laughs> trying to think back of just a variety of people and types of things they can do and everything like that. If you need a guy that if you need a guy to be your primary coverage linebacker, we got that. You need a <laughs> you need a Belichick linebacker, you know, a two hundred and fifty pound, you know, behemoth giant person, just stick in the middle of the field, be an elephant like guy, we got that. Uh you need uh strong, you know, strong side we got that. You you want a little 6'1", hundred and forty pound tackle Machine type guy. We got a couple of those guys. Like yep. you got everything you need in this class. If you if you need linebackers, this is a class. And I know there's teams like the Giants and the Cardinals and shoot. Everybody that can use linebackers because there's teams who have them and teams that don't. And a lot of times the teams the teams that don't have them are like, Oh man, I wish we had some. <laughs> so
0: like imagine
4: the Card imagine if the Cardinals defense, which is a very good defense by the very way. Good. Had a legit middle linebacker. I like, imagine if they had Luke Keekly as their oh, middle oh, linebacker. Oh my God. If they had Luke Keekly
2: <laughs>
4: Yikes. Try try to try to attack up the tight ends then, right? Exactly. So it's 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 like that, man. I mean the linebacker position is one of those positions that I think some people don't have a hard time evaluating because I don't know they read a book somewhere that said they have to evaluate <laughs> a certain way. But there's so many different types of do so many different roles. I think sometimes people mix up one thing for the other thing. Like, what's more important than this? And what's but they're all important, man. It's all part of your defense. But um, I I think this is a really good linebacker class, and I'm surprised yep. that there isn't more people that are more uh, excited about it. But you know, I don't know.
2: I think there's going to be a couple of guys that are going to go to Pro Bowls that are going to be found in this linebacker class and several NFL starters. And as you pointed out, uh, despite the lack of fanfare so far that they seem to be generating, uh, this is a really solid class. Who are some of your favorite guys at the positions, uh, the linebacker positions, and why?
4: Well, I mean, it starts with Jalen Smith from Notre Dame. Um, he's hyper-intelligent, really strong solo tackler, uh, can shed, um, not the biggest guy, honestly, I mean, in another life, he could be a safety, but he obviously isn't. <laughs> but I, I'm just a big fan of his, just because of his uh, solo tackling ability, uh, he's got he can cover guys, he can, he can do man, he can blitz, it's pretty tough. Uh, I'm, I'm a big, big fan of Jalen Smith uh, in terms of, like, everything he can do. I'm a big fan of Reggie, uh, Reggie Raglan. I know there's people who, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know if you're one of those people. There's some people who are like, yeah, you know, he's good, but, like, I don't know, you know, type thing. But I I <laughs> – I see Reggie Ragland and I go, give him to Bill Belichick and watch this guy shine. Like oh. he, completes, he completes his set. It's a shame that they lost that first round pick because I just know Bill Belichick's probably going to be like, we got to trade over to the first round. Be like, but Belichick, the draft picks. Oh, we're just going <laughs> to we're just spin him on a bunch of busts and trade Jackson anyways. Get into the first round, I tell you, and let's get myself a Ragland. Like, and complete his set of Jamie Collins running Ragland. That's so a high tower. Oh my it's god. Done. That would be Woo! a nice set of linebackers.
6: Oh my god.
4: Exactly. Oh. He's like oh. cuz cause he, he cause in his mind he the giant linebacker core, you know, from the 90s, you know, the early oh 90s and the god. 80s, you know. he's he that's his that's oh. what he sees when he goes to, when you when you do a little word association with Bill in terms of linebacker, he goes uh, Carl Banks, right? Or he would go, you know, just giant thing, thingamabobber. So, uh, but I, I'm a big fan of Ragland. I know there's question marks in terms of like his ability to really cover guys. I get it, but I just like what he does. So shoot me, you know. Um, I, I like Kentrell Brothers in Missouri. He's
6: mm-hmm. my
4: my nickname for him was Tigger. Because he plays like he has springs in his knees, like he's so <laughs>
6: <laughs> he's
4: so like just bouncy, bouncy and and yeah. and agile and just uh, explosive. Like just every single step he makes is boom right here, boom right here, boom right here. You know, like like Tiger man. And uh, but he's so smart. Um, always puts himself in the position to make play. Uh, decent and decent in coverage as well. Um and i I'm just a big fan. I don't even know I, I i i mean he is somebody that people know about, and I get all that stuff, but like I heard he wasn't even like nominated for the Buckus Award and stuff like that, what? like he wasn't man you check and Ooh. i was like what's going on here man There's, what's this
2: isn't right i so last a- year scooby Wright's not a finalist, and sure. this year. Kintrol Brothers isn't a finalist. Nope.
4: <sighs>
2: whatever.
4: <laughs> because they know how to evaluate linebackers, I guess. I mean, he's uh, he's definitely a guy that people are going to go, oh, he's too small, he's too dense, he's whatever. Fine, I'll take him in the second round. I mean, I'm I'm the Oakland Raiders. I'd love to have Kintrol Brothers. Matter of fact, he me Jalen Smith and Kintrol Brothers. Boom linebacker problems are fixed in Oakland, you know, so mm. I, I I just, yeah. But yeah, I'm a big fan of Kentrell Brothers. I'm a big fan of Scooby Wright, although it's been a little bit of scooby Dooby doo where are you? Like, literally, where are you? He's been injured. So, um, I know that there's people who go, oh, Scooby Wright's not that good, and he's this, he's that, which it really was only one person who would say all that stuff, and his first name starts with a D and ends with a K. Uh, but, I just think he he's a really smart linebacker, puts himself in a position to make plays. He might not necessarily be the best overall athlete or anything like that, but it's not an edge rusher, he's a linebacker, crying out loud. I think as a middle linebacker he's he's pretty solid overall. Um I had him as a late first, early second guy coming in and I still view him as such, you know, depending on um what his uh what his injuries, you know, look like and that sort of stuff. Um, but I really like him. Um, I'm a big fan of Jalen reeves maybe at Tennessee. I know that people are going to be like, oh, he's he's 217 pounds or 220 or whatever. And I'm like, eh, who cares? Like, he's really good in terms of what you want as a will linebacker uh, type and uh, in terms of cleaning up plays and that sort of stuff. Um, Blake Martinez I'm also a, a pretty decent fan of. I think he's somebody that I wasn't the biggest fan of last year. This year he's shown me a lot more of what he can do in terms of being a blitzer, being an enforcer against the run, uh, being able to cover a little bit more. And honestly, I think he's a legit solid option now, you know, in terms of uh, middle linebacker type. Uh, But I'm a big fan of him. Uh, I also really like Josh Forrest at Kentucky. He's another one of those guys I've been following for a while and he's done a lot of stuff to show me and prove me right about him. Uh, Steve Longett at Rutgers is also very good. Um, Sky Moore at South, of South Carolina. There is one
2: of
6: has,
4: your sort of quasi-safety
2: linebacker hybrid type.
4: Right, 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 right. Now, he may be a safety, but he's not bad to turn solo tackle. So, like, he, he's an interesting guy because uh, he is a little undersized and everything like that, but uh, I think he's shown that he can do a wide linebacker position. If that doesn't work out, you could put him as like a free safety or, or, you know, work him into it. So, I guess, but that that would be kind of what I would do. But yeah, I, I really like him. Uh, Tyler Medakovich at Temple's a guy I've That's been following since last year.
6: That's my dude. Oh, oh, oh.
4: yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, another guy that uh, people are going to be like, he's white, he's 6'1", what's the big deal? But he's pretty good. It turns out he does, and I just don't
6: understand, you know, what people
4: are like, you know, whatever about him. And he does everything. Um, he's a
2: great yeah. blitzer. He's good in coverage. He's fantastic at run
4: fits.
6: Yeah. Yeah.
4: Um. Yeah, this is him. And the last I'll mention is, you know, uh, Miles Jack. I like Miles Jack. I'm not going to pay top 10 money for Miles Jack.
2: So oh, with the I, I'm team. a problem. I don't think anybody's going to pay top 10 money for him.
6: <laughs> we apparently aren't reading what other people are writing, but uh, I, <laughs> I,
4: I, I have questions in terms of him. I think there's a place for him in terms of what I want to do as a, as a defense coordinator, but I don't buy him as an elite, elite prospect only because he doesn't anticipate things at the level of not even at Eric Kendricks' level. Like Eric Kendricks was the best linebacker last year in terms of pursuit linebacker last year, at least to me, because he was able to anticipate things at a high level and get to the play uh, as quickly as possible. Like the minute the play started, he knew exactly where the ball was going. Miles Jack, sometimes I. Watch him play, and he doesn't entirely know where to play. He's reacting a lot more than anticipating. And uh, sure, he he can, and sure, it's really fun to watch him, you know, punch offensive linemen and shock him back, and like, oh, look at that! Or uh, watch him, you know, completely over pursue a play, and then is athletic enough to kind of compensate for that, you know, kind of kind of running way too, way too wide to be able to stop turn and go the other direction and still make up for kind of over-pursuing on an angle but I'm just not the biggest model of Jack fan overall but I do like him and I do think he has a place I just prefer other guys like Brothers like Jalen Smith uh, like Jalen Reeves Maven in terms of what I see as a role of a will linebacker uh, I kind of see them as being kind of better because they have Better nose for the football, better awareness, better anticip- anticipation in terms of getting to the ball and blowing stuff up.
2: Yeah, I I've noticed, and and you probably have as well, that the biggest thing, and of course, whether you want to call it football IQ or instincts or uh, uh, whatever the thing you want to throw out there is that there seems to be, that's to me the, the big crevice, the the divide, whatever, between the guys I end up falling in love with, and the guys that no matter what they do, I can never quite buy into, is those guys that, and that's why I was so, eh, on Anthony Barr, you know, was um, as great an athlete as he was, and as, you know, a spectacular. A, a I mean, talk about. You know, he guys, was confused. Know. Right. <laughs> exactly.
4: Yes. Yeah, that. At times, <laughs> but I will say this though: Anthony Barr is an interesting case of fastidious. When you when you watch the twenty thirteen tape, which I told most people to do, because I found fi- it finally made sense to me. Because as a metrics guy, I was doing Anthony Barr stuff, and I'm like wow, he had an insane amount of market share solo tackles at UCLA in 2013. It was like 17%, 18%, which is pursuit linebacker territory. It's not even edge territory. Best case for edge, Bill, is like 12%. You know what I mean? Like that's that's like best case. I'm like, what the heck happened in 2013? Well, when you go to 2013, he's playing more of a linebacker kind of you know, role in terms of being the guy who's going in there and just, like, telling them, hey, go in, go blow up a play. You know, just go. We're going to put you here. You're going to be kind of a linebacker and be kind of the, the, the guy just going after and chasing things down, running chase kind of stuff. And he did that exceptionally well that year. Now, the 2014 year, or I think his last year anyways, they were putting him on the edge and they were trying to make him into this edge rusher and every single draft was like, he's going to be an edge player because that's how they played him,
0: you know, in terms mm-hmm. of that. And
4: look at his links and look at this and look at, look at the gif here and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, I guess, I mean, when I value him as an edge player, he always was scoring 60s, 60, 60s, 60, you know, 64, 65, just because of just a lack of football IQ and a lack of knowing how to beat blocks and a lack of pass rush moves as well. But, you know, like he had a spin move. I always hate that because people always go, "Why did you give him no credit for a spin move? He did a spin move." I'm like, "Yeah, but it wasn't effective. He right. attempted a spin move. The spin move didn't turn into a sack. The spin move didn't turn into a pressure. The spin yeah, turned move into turned, into a, into, turned, a, yeah, turned into it turned into exactly, a yeah. Turned into exactly, exactly. Turned into oh my gosh, look at this. It turned into a. Ring around the rosy, he 's confused,
6: and then you're like,
4: "Wow, look at that spoon, and he's out there like kind of like, "Well where am I?" you know at the end of the play. Uh, but Barr was interesting because I kept going back in mind like, "Why, why?" And it just there was a moment of metrical, whatever you want to call it, where I was doing like instincts, whatever you want to call it. I was doing everything. I looked at the athleticism. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, he's almost identical to Brian Urlacher as an athlete. turns out he tested. And then you go to the on-paper production, and he produced almost as much as Brian Urlacher in terms of his solo tackle market share, that kind of stuff. So then it all kind of made sense to me. Now, of course, he wasn't Brian Urlacher on tape, but he was much better suited in terms of, of his size in terms of how he tested as an athlete to a pursuit linebacker role than to an edge role. And that's what I took away from it. And that's why I'm like, okay, now it makes sense. Now I get why the Vikings took him. Now I understand why they're not playing him on on the edge and they're playing him as a kind of rover linebacker kind of, you know, type of guy. Because – that's how he was most effective at UCLA, was that 2013 season. It wasn't the edge season where people were giving the Randy Gregory, well, he might be good, he might put on weight, he might do this, he might do that type stuff. A dangerous way to live. (laughs) Um, Of course, you know, Anthony Barr never smoked weed multiple times. So is that, oh, the issue? But, <laughs> is that the issue? I, I don't know. That wasn't the issue, but that was that's going to be the issue if he fails, is that, oh, he's a pothead. That's why he failed. Yeah. <laughs> he would have been so great if it wasn't for the pots. Oh, well, you know, even my mom would be starting to say that. I'm like, <sighs> whatever, you know. But, you know, see, see what the weed does to you, son? Yeah, uh, but uh, <laughs> I would just say that, that that's the only thing I would say about it Barr Uh, it was one of those moments where it it all made sense to me. Like, okay, now I see what they see. Everybody's like, why? Like, why would they do that? Why would they get Anthony Barton? I'm like, well, it doesn't make sense now. Now, it's it's still a a leap of faith. You're still jumping. You're still, you know, you're still Indiana Jones, you know, putting your feet onto a crevice. But it's at least, you know, you have some little hieroglyphic passage saying, okay, do it, you know. And they did it and unfor- and thankfully to them they haven't fallen into the credits. You know, they didn't fall into the hole and die. Because so. there's a magical bridge that's invisible. So Cause I I guess I don't know. But <laughs> I don't think he's ever gonna be uh as good as, you know, Brian Rillacher or Patrick Willis or any of those guys, but at least it makes sense to me. Okay, he's a good linebacker, and that's what he always was.
6: You know, it's just that
4: they try to turn him into an edge guy because, whatever, you know.
2: Well, there certainly are things to like about Anthony Barr, and despite my lack of enthusiasm, it wasn't because of his lack of talent. I mean, I, I could see, you know, his talent. I mean, how many six-four and five-eighths or whatever running backs are there anywhere on the planet? So the fact that – and I saw him play running back. I mean, I I, I have notes on him, and I kept – it's like, maybe he's a better fit at move tight end. I, remember, I, I didn't think about linebacker. I probably should have. I had little suggestions. It was like, he could maybe be a uh, Clive Walford type. You know, I had those little notes in there about what I thought he might be, you know, if he were just to, you know, be in the, the better situation. And, of course, like I said, I didn't – he, when he did make the move to linebacker, I was like, oh, huh.
4: Huh. <laughs> I mean, I think that's interesting, you know. Uh, I mean, you have to understand, he's 750 pounds, runs four four one. Yeah, that was expensive. with with a four one nine short shuttle and a six eight two, mm-hmm. you know, yep. three count. Yep. Like, and, and you put him at run and chase, run and chase, roll. He's gonna run and chase, baby. <laughs> yes,
2: yes, he is. Yes, he is. And yeah, I mean he is a special I mean there's no getting around it, he is special. I I just like I said, I just didn't know how quickly uh he would successfully transition to playing. I mean that's hard. It's a hard transition to make. You know, hey, now you're a linebacker. Oh okay. Yeah, there's a lot of ways that end up not working out like <laughs> That that's not a you 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 aren't you can't be certain that that's going to work when you make oh, it. But it, it obviously of course did. not. It was but impressive.
4: I would but I would say that again. The twenty thirteen tape showed me he was doing more linebacker things in 2013. 2014, They were trying to they kind of made him do too much. I mean they were they were putting him on the edge. They were having him drop back into coverage. From, you know, starting on the edge and then dropping back and doing all these crazy things. And to him, he's just like, okay. Like, man, don't do too many things, you know? Mm
6: -hmm. Versus 2013
4: where they just were like, you stay here, and when the ball snaps, go get the ball. And that's what he did.
6: Mm -hmm. Nothing else to it, you know?
4: Like, didn't have to, you know, in terms of offensive linemen, didn't really have to deal with those guys too much except trying to run around them and get around them, you know? Uh, They weren't up in his grill all the time, so... It worked out. Then it goes to 2014. They put him on the edge, and they try to use him more as a pass rusher, and it all kind of falls apart. Right. You know. But UCLA is interesting because they've had. I mean, when you think about the the run of things, they've had a linebacker. You get Anthony Barr. You get, you know, Eric Kendrick, who I always felt was, you wow. know, one of their better pure linebacker type. Yes. Uh pursuit linebacker types. And then of course you get Miles Jack, which is also a very unique kind of athlete in terms of you know what you want to do with them. So they've had a really interesting run in terms of the guys they've had on that defense, in terms of the linebackers.
2: Right, and the real question I guess at this point amongst those guys, you know, is is who can turn out to be, who can uh put together, or what are you going to use, who can be uh, a guy that becomes a a star you know could actually be a not just a a good player but a great great player and of course Kendricks is a guy that I think if he stays healthy and things like that will become a very very good football player for a very long time Miles Jack is a fascinating prospect I think we'll be excited to see how he tests the assumptions that he'll test extremely well and we'll have to see where he you know ends up in terms of where he's drafted with the knee and, you know, how far the knee's come along. I mean, obviously, if the knee looks good and he's got all that explosiveness back and things like that, I won't be shocked if he finds his way into the first, but we've all seen guys in in similar situations. And it's all over the board in terms of where they actually end up being drafted. There's sometimes situations where guys go almost exactly where they would have gone, even without getting hurt. True, but also we've seen when guys clearly slid if not entirely, at least in part, due to injury.
1: Yeah,
4: well, definitely. I mean, I mean, my my only hesitation with Miles Jack is, you know, as a metrics guy, when you go, all right, what's he going to be? Ah, oh, pursuit linebacker. I'll go, okay. If he's going to do that, then how come he hasn't had, like, he hasn't had a Luke Kuechly like production-type season. He hasn't had a Ray Lewis-like production season. He hasn't had a Patrick Lewis-like production season. Most of his production seasons have been, like, Ernie Sims, you know. Who he's very really much Green, like, actually. I mean, Moreland Greenwood. Right. You know, uh, Brian Cushing. It's kind of, like, his best overall season. Thomas Howard, you know, from Texas El Paso. Speaking of great athletes, wow. Thomas. Yeah. Yeah, super-duper athlete, yeah. who yeah, passed away, unfortunately, a couple of years ago. But, yeah, him. Uh, so that's my only worry. That, that, like, that's my only worry. And I know it's like, well, you're worried about a number, but I'm just saying, like, if you're saying this guy's an elite pursuit linebacker, which based on what I saw on tape, I saw strong safety. That's what I saw. I mean, I – Maybe it was because it was a UNLV game where they kind of made him just mostly play slot, kind of play Jalen Ramsey role, kind of in a way. But uh, I just saw like, oh, that's a strong safety. And honestly, I kind of like him as a running back a little more than a linebacker at times. But that—that—that's. I mean, that was my only worry is like, if you—if you're saying that this is an elite pursuit linebacker as a metrics guy, you have to check off the box. With certain things, and he didn't check all the boxes in terms of certain things, which is like he didn't be really good, he could be really good, but you know, top 10, I don't know. And I know you're like, Well, he's not gonna go to the top 10. I'm just saying that's the, that's the jam in terms of huh, most mainstream mock drafts. You have Miles Jack in the top 10, so maybe it's because of the name Miles Jack. Good Jack
1: linebacker. It's a good football. Yeah,
3: yeah it's like. Are you guys watching Miles? that game? Are you guys watching the no. Baylor game? How slippery it
2: is right now. Well,
6: yeah, they had a weather a Baylor- delay
2: because of the severe weather, so it's not really a shot. Yeah, it, it's hard to see anything on the
3: television. Just all the rain.
2: Yeah, it's uh like I said, severe weather. That's that's what severe weather looks like. In case you were wondering. <laughs>
3: Chris Johnson's looked awful.
2: Uh, Boykin looks like Boykin. Just forty percent of. them. Right, because that's where he is. It's for you're going see what forty percent of him looks like. So, in terms of the the li- linebacker class, we've talked a little bit about some of the some of the guys that showed the greatest amount of. Obvious ability to translate to the next level. But there's always loads of projections, whether it be, you know, guys who are sort of big safeties, as we talked about before, or undersized linemen. I mean, linebackers come in a lot of different shapes and sizes nowadays, and I guess always did, but with the emphasis on either being a coverage guy or a pass rush guy. Uh, more and more they're looking at you. I mean, that's always been to some extent true, but I just talked about the, you know, the during the Iron Curtain days, the three Steeler linebackers were all starting linebackers, all fairly interchangeable in terms of what they could do. They were all good blitzers. They are all good in coverage. They all could run. And some teams do follow sort of a similar template, though a lot of teams are a lot more specialized in what they, they see in the linebackers. So... Isaiah, I see you've re- since you've, you've returned, uh, one, what do you look for when you're, <clears throat> you know, looking at linebackers for guys you think might translate? And then who do you have as some of your, your top linebackers going into this year's draft, or at least thus far going towards this year's draft? Uh, like, are you asking, like, what guys, you, what I look yeah, for, what linebacker? What, right, right. what do you look for? Like? What do you look for when you're evaluating linebackers? And then who are some of your top guys?
3: Normally, if it's, you know, somebody shorter, I want to see if, um, you know, continue to power through, like, bigger, taller linemen. Um, I want to see them rush to the outside, you know, beat them more than the occasional, you know, three. What I like to see is, you know, them to be able to get to the quarterback and, you know, not be able to stop by any linemen or, you know, stuff like that. I like to see him, you know, run through the middle, run through the outside. Uh, I like to see him being able to do well in coverage. Um, and lately, that's really been a problem with these linebackers right now. And, and people talk about it like it's a deep class. I don't see it as I think it's one or two guys and then everybody else. Like Scooby Wright, for example, he's small and he hasn't done much this year, but... I don't know. I don't know what he is at the next level. Now, at this point, everybody had him in the first round. I don't even have him in the second round. because I haven't seen enough of him this year.
2: Well, that's because he's been hurt. Um, so that's an easy one. And so, you know, with the injury, there's not. no way There's no way he can go in the first because of the injury. I mean, even if he – even if you – I mean, even watched Scooby Wright play, I don't think you'd have much of a question about what he is. Like I said, the real issue is is, is his health. And what kind trying of. Trying the medicals at the combine. I need to see that in order for me to have sure. him in the second. Sure. Well, that, that's true of everybody, I would think. I mean, I, I don't know. Even before the injury, most people I know didn't have him in the first, but with the injury, I think most people have him probably more likely in the third.
6: <laughs> and
2: obviously, testing, you know, and, and health and these and of the medical will be things that I think might help him. But, yeah, I mean, it's seen as a fairly deep class because a lot of guys who are going to play and play well at the NFL level in this class. Uh, Jim rolled off a bunch of them just a moment ago. Yeah, I think it's
3: really Bosa and uh, the UCLA, UCLA Miles Jack. I think it's those two and everybody else. Well, Bosa's not a linebacker.
4: Bosa is not a linebacker. He's an edge player.
3: Well, he can play both. So, I
2: mean, it depends on the scheme. And, <laughs> I don't think there's anybody hey. that would l- legitimately play him at linebacker, at least so, most of the time. Okay, okay. So,
4: so Isaiah. So you're saying Reggie Ragland sucks, Jalen Smith sucks, uh, Kintro Brothers sucks, Mike Martinez sucks. Uh, no,
6: no love for Tyler.
4: Yeah, no love, Tyler. Tyler sucks as well. What did they suck have to do with anything? Well no, we're just asking, like we're just asking you, like if it's just Bosa and Miles Jack and that's it, like hey. You
3: know? I'm not saying they I'm not saying they struck. I'm saying they're not as good as those two type of
2: players. Well, Miles Jack, for all his athletic ability, isn't really a great linebacker. He's just a great athlete playing linebacker.
1: They were a better. Where, line. Do, where do you guys have Barnett out of Tennessee rated? You mean
4: the edge player? Yeah. Sophomore? Um, if he came out this year, he'd probably be solid second rounder.
1: If
3: he came I out, mean, this year, been,
4: he's a sophomore.
1: Yeah, I know, but I've been looking
3: at a lot of Tennessee's tape, and you see them consistently. Make him play after play after play. And well, yeah, usually he's the high motor type of guy. Yeah.
4: yeah, he's the second best edge player in the SEC behind Miles uh, Garrett. Oh, also soft. Yeah, also yeah,
2: <laughs> soft. So literally, your linebacker rankings compare are consist of two dudes. Isaiah, is that what you're saying? And one no, is only a linebacker. Is, <laughs> what I'm saying is, I'm. Still getting into it. That's
3: what I'm saying. I'm not fully in my oh, linebacker okay. discussion. All
6: right, all right. Oh, okay, okay, okay. 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 Well, that I've makes mainly sense done.
3: Sense. I just finished my offense side. Of guys, uh, I'm still have to do my lineman and then my defense linemen and all that. Right now, I've been watching these college games and moving around my offensive pieces so far. Right now, I'm watching Chucklin Wood seeing where I'm going to end up putting them. Eventually. So, through each game, I'm looking at the quarterbacks, wide receivers, cause, you know, it's consistent of a quarterback and quarterback league, and really that's what I'm focusing mainly on. Mm-hmm. And then I'll see occasional flash plays of other players that I'm like, he looks really good. And then I'll dig and tape on them, and I'll eventually p- complete my
1: analysis. Okay, sure, that's fine. And you know, I got to say, this is a very different type of wide receiver class than last year.
3: There's a lot more speed than there was last year. There's uh, not as complete wide receivers as there was last year. Like I had uh, Devontae Parker as my number one wide receiver, he has done nothing.
6: Well,
3: he hasn't
4: been oh. healthy. Yeah, and also wasn't really that good coming out as most people. Right, thought. that's the other thing. He was—he wasn't uh, that good, and he had a bad foot. I mean, he was decent, but you know, I mean, you know, Mark Cooper. You know. But
3: um, well, I had him as well. I thought uh, Devonte Perk was also the best
2: route runner of all of them, and the next No. Oh. He's, a, he's a decent route runner, but there's many, many better route runners than him. He did.
4: Time. He did certain things. I mean, he did certain things really well, but he didn't do everything. No. Like Tyler Lockett did more things than Lottie Barker in terms of release technique and um, various route combinations and that kind of stuff and feet, footwork, feetwork. is checked with it. And I just dug in a lot
3: of tape on William Fuller out of Notre Dame, and I'm really impressed. And it looks like... Les Miles has been ready to let go. Do some news. On
4: yeah, it's not really
6: news. Yeah, that's <laughs> not really news. We've known about that for or, about a week. So we well, I know,
3: business. but I'm well. It was talk of it, which I didn't really believe it. You did because you're not going to replace him on the recruiting level. So you're going to bring in who brings some better players.
4: Well, well and if ask the, ask, and, ask the LSU boosters about that because right, we exactly. we have no control over. Uh, and Ellis, they, they
2: they're, they're Les Tom. Miles has one of they the best win-loss. They, they think Isaiah, they're going to get Tom Herman. That's what they think is going to happen. That's I what they think, think they're going to get, yeah. I don't know if it's going to happen. That's what they think is going to happen. The and and if it. they don't get him, they're screwed. Yes, correct.
4: Pretty much,
3: yeah. And still lose Alabama, Les Miles but is one of the best coaches in last that last college last football history and win-loss percentage.
4: Mm, yeah,
2: but... And one, one of the best recruiters.
4: They don't really care about
2: that, Isaiah. Nope. They just care about beating Saban. He's not beating Saban, exactly. That's that's all yeah. they care about.
3: Well, that's not going to happen out by switching coaches.
6: <laughs> but it <You> know, might. <laughs>
3: that's exactly. why they're doing it.
6: That's why they're doing it. <laughs> <sighs> yeah.
2: So you're yep. saying
4: there's a chance.
2: So you're saying there's a chance. Yeah, that's how they're looking at it. That's the whole way they're looking at this.
6: They're thinking
2: maybe this will be the thing that puts us over the top. Do you think Les Milder will retire after he's no. let go? No, I mean, or he might take nothing, year he get the well, year you off.
4: Know. He might take the year off, or he's going to agree to the first job offer he gets for four and a half million, five million $5 a year.
1: You know?
3: So he could
4: either retire for one year or he could – What I if mean, he went to uh,
3: South Carolina? Well, that's one of the schools on his he could list, do that.
6: right? Yeah, so his
4: –
3: imagine that recruiting that he would do there, imagine but, all the fluid guys spring in, that team would be back on track, I would believe.
2: Right. Or if, if McElvain leaves for one of these other jobs that's in place, Florida's definitely mm-hmm. going to give him a call. I mean, dude, there's a bunch of – He's gonna if
4: he wants a job, he'll have one, and it won't. There's be tons good. of jobs. I mean, there's so many coaches that were fired that are about to be fired that it's like every job is available. What do you want? You know, it's pretty hopeful so,
3: coaching somewhere.
4: No, no, no. He's collecting his buyout. He's counting his money. Yeah.
2: Yep. <laughs> he's got a nice, nice little chunk of change. He's, he's buying, buying, he's uh, buying
4: all Ohio State jerseys and going if
2: he reaches.
4: <laughs> so yes, he's he's
2: I got your Jim Harbaugh right here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's doing all right. He's he's gonna be okay. The um so getting back to the linebacker class for a moment, there uh-huh. are a lot you mentioned speed. There's a lot of speed in this linebacker class as well. A lot of very yeah. athletic guys. There's not a lot um, of complete good. linebackers. It's more of, you know,
3: a one-trick pony,
2: really. Well, it depends what you mean. Tyler which mm-hmm. is as complete as they come. He's great at blitzing. He's very good mm-hmm. in coverage. He's cr- ridiculously good against the run. How is he not complete? No, I'm just saying this class in general. Not a lot of complete all every down linebackers.
4: Well, you just said you haven't really evaluated that many, so...
6: Yeah,
4: I'm gonna I'm gonna listen bit. to you more when you've seen more linebackers.
2: <laughs> All right, because there's a lot of complete linebackers actually in this class. I don't think you've seen enough of them. There's several three-down linebackers, guys who can almost play safety and come down and be forced against the run and are good blitzers. I mean, I don't know what else you want.
4: That's
6: pretty much the definition of you know, pursuit linebacker,
4: and it's pursuit linebacker, not off-ball linebacker. I hate that term. I hate it, but that's just me.
2: I just say four three or three four. You know, I don't. I just keep it simple. Uh, I don't. I don't know all these all, you know, all these newfangled terms really mean anything. You're
4: either a well, four three linebacker or a three four linebacker. Well, it makes sense to me because pursuit linebacker. It makes so much sense. Pursuit, you're pursuing. That's what you're doing, right? Edge, you're pat- rushing the passer. You know, it makes sense. It's succinct. or it'd be better with just pass rushers and pursuit.
6: <laughs> yeah, I
2: guess you could do it that way. Either way, um, like I said, there's, there's, a, I think it's a. a better linebacker class than most people seem to uh, want to know or realize or acknowledge or whatever. Uh, There's some guys who, who obviously, like I said, I, I think are going to do very well and have long, you know, fairly successful NFL careers. And there's a few guys that may have a chance to be even a little bit better than that. So you mentioned a lot of good linebackers. The, um, If you, I just want to sort of roll through, uh, hit upon whatever term you want to I guess, say, give them a little bit of extra love and attention. So I'm not going to, you know, use this opportunity to slobber over Tyler Madikiewicz more than I normally do. I've clearly given him enough enough time and attention. But there's a few guys I think have sort of gone under, undermentioned, whatever term you want to use, undermentioned. Um, and, of course... Some of this will be dependent upon just who decides to come out and who decides to stay in school. But uh, you mentioned Josh Forrest, and I think he's a guy that's going to have a, a long, successful NFL career. Uh, what do you think about that kid, Norris, at Utah, uh, Jared
4: Norris? Jared Norris. He had a pass runner? Uh,
2: not really. I mean, uh, he, he at times, but, I mean, he's he's a uh, pursuit linebacker primarily, I guess, is the term. Uh, he wears number seven. Oh. Does that
4: help you at all?
2: I mean, I'm sorry. Seven. Number, uh, no, um, wait, no, 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 hold on. It's not seven. It's oh. no. Uh 41.
4: 41, sorry. It's 41. Oh, 41. Jared North. I think he's solid. Now, now he's coming back to me. I'm thinking of the other. I mean, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh Fana, Jason Fanaka or Fanaka. Oh, yeah
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. You're talking about the Polynesian Now this kid is not quite so uh he's white.
4: Oh. Yeah, Jared Norris, uh, he's solid. I, I remember watching him, um I I mean he solid overall. Okay. I think he could fill in well, um kind of in the middle tier for me, at least in terms of a bunch of guys, but I think he's solid. That makes any sense.
2: Now, what about Jalen Smith's uh, running buddy, his partner, uh, Joe Schmidt? What do you think of him?
4: I mean, he's all right. He's not... I don't mean to say he's no Jalen Smith, but he's... uh,
6: Well,
4: (laughs) You're right about that. He's not (laughs) Jalen Smith. He's uh solid, kinda. But I don't know, maybe it's James Smith's fault. He kinda James Smith steals a lot of Joe Schmidt's tackles off of that. Correct. Enough. Yes he does. Which may not be Joe Smith's fault, but come may on, it.
2: Joe Schmidt. Man up, man. Get
4: those tackles.
2: Yes. Right. Get those tackles. Wait up, son. Get your weight up. Um. Who else was I gonna make sure I mentioned? Oh, um. Uh, Morrison, the kid from Florida, Antonio Morrison.
4: Oh, I'm a, I'm a big fan of him as well. Um, he he's a guy I've only seen about two games worth, and it was against non-SEC people. So he's a guy that I put on my list to go do another checkup on because I've been. That's mainly what I've been doing over the last couple of weeks doing checkups on guys that I evaluated early. Well uh
6: it and, against and Andy.
4: You. Um and
2: uh what was the other game I saw recently with him? I saw the
6: Vanderbilt game and Right. <laughs> um there was another one I saw um, he kinda good. I mean
4: Morrison from my initial viewing, he kinda was doing more edge things. Kinda than being pure pursuit guy, like Jared Davis is kind of their pursuit guy, and Morrison is, does a little bit does a little bit of that and also does a little bit of pass rushing, but I mean, he's okay. I, I I'm more partial to you know John Bullard and Hargraves and the other people there, or even Marcus May and Brian Poole terms of Florida's defense, but Morrison is definitely kinda of there. Doing some stuff. Right. Right. Um
2: what is the other kid I was gonna ask you about? Um, oh, James Burgess, Louisville. Uh where do you come down on him?
6: James Burgess,
1: Louisville.
4: Oh yeah. That yeah. Uh he's he's solid Overall, um, I kind of like Keith Kelsey is interesting um, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Burgess is definitely kind of like Burgess is a little bit better in terms of covering guys a little bit, and Kelsey kind of does a little more better against the run um, in terms of getting on the backfield. But
6: they're both good, solid guys, so. Yeah. Okay. Um, have
2: you had a chance to check out uh, Longino? Antonio Longino, the kid from uh Arizona State.
6: Longino. No.
1: Okay. I have oh, seen
4: Salam nice. Alfisto. Oh, okay. And uh Christian Sam, but haven't really been You know, Longino. But
2: I guess I am now. And then CJ Johnson, as you said, is more of an edge guy, whatever term the kids use nowadays. Uh, What about Nick Kwiatkowski at uh, West Virginia?
1: Oh, you
4: mean the middle linebacker? Yes. Yeah, I like him. I think that he's. uh, a little underrated because he plays at West Virginia. <laughs> but uh he kinda does a little bit of that, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little blitz, a little that. Um kinda solid across the board. Um brushes the kinda blitzes well, gets gets to the passer a lot as well. But not like a again, he's more in a tier of mid tier. So these guys I'm not really the most uh like, super-duper. They blend in a lot. Like, if you were going to go, when you like Longino or Nick, you know, Kelly Kellykowski. I'd be like,
6: eh, flip a coin. You know? <laughs> kind of. I, I don't know. But that's kind of how I feel about it.
4: What do you think of uh, Zeke Bigger, East Carolina? Oh, I'm a big fan of Zeke Bigger. uh. Yeah, even like, from last year. He's pretty he's a pretty decent sized guy, um, good instincts. Uh, might be might do better than the the other guy because I know they had another linebacker come out of East Carolina. I forgot his name, but um I think he might do a little better than him in terms of the NFL level. But uh he's gonna need a lot of help though in terms of off season getting invited to stuff, you know, uh getting to the, right. East Carolina. But he yeah, but he's pretty good. Uh, a couple of
2: FCS guys that I've liked, uh, one of which is Luke Rhodes at William Mary. I don't know if you've got a chance to check him out. If not, I, I would urge you to do so. I am I feel pretty confident that he's going to be drafted. Possibly he yeah,
4: is the fourth. Yeah, that's the only uh, the, the linebacker that I haven't really got a chance to really look at is the FCS guys. Because so, um, yeah. I've been trying to get tape on those guys, which is a little more difficult. But yeah.
2: Well, let me just give you a couple names, then. Um, You should definitely have, amongst the linebackers at the FCS level, you should have him on your list, and Akeel Blunt from Florida A&M. And I think if, especially for Blunt, I think if Blunt can get invited to East-West or NFLPA, I think he'll tear it up, and that'll help him.
1: So that's a guy I would sort of urge you to keep an eye out for.
6: Uh, let's see a couple other guys.
2: Uh, what do you think of Brandon Chubb from Wake Forest?
6: Uh, he's also
4: another guy that's pretty solid overall. Um, I think is he DB there? Is he actually a linebacker though?
6: He's, he's turned forty
4: five pounds, so I, I hope they aren't trying to play. I think <laughs> I think I'm mixing up those guys. Uh, huh. I don't know. He's I have to go back and doors. watch.
2: I mean, he's like five eleven and three quarters, but he's right, 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 right. Very stocky. Okay.
4: I uh, think I need to go back, back and look. I so was thinking
2: 48. of somebody
6: else.
2: He wears forty-eight. Okay. If that helps. Okay. Um, and you know, he's he he sort of runs stuff back there. He's uh, you know, the guy that sort of gets them lined up and yeah, just you know, runs the show back there. So he's, uh, you know, people always use terms like emotional leader or whatever, heart and soul. I mean, he's a he's the guy that gets them, you know, like I said, going in the right direction. Uh, what do you think of Frank Shannon of Oklahoma?
4: I mean, he's their best cleanup guy. Um, right. I think, and that's what they do a lot at Oklahoma with their guys who kind of clean up. Um, But he's pretty solid overall.
2: Okay, Uh, a couple more guys I want to make sure I hit on. What do you think of Reggie Northrup? Sometimes he gets a little bit lost in the sauce at Florida State, but he he always makes a couple of of fairly impressive plays per game, but usually not a huge number of wow plays.
1: Yeah, is he a is he a senior this year?
6: I'm pretty sure he is. Okay, I'll go I'll
4: go back and check. Um yeah, I mean he's he's good. He's not he's, really great. Yeah,
2: this is his senior season. He did have a knee injury coming out of the uh what do you call it, of camp, or out of the uh back right, in right, right, January. Right he had a knee, uh what do you call it? 'Cause he got hurt in the Rose Bowl. But uh but yeah, unless he's he hasn't he didn't miss enough time. I don't think he missed any time. I don't think or if he did, he missed much time, so I don't think he's gonna get an extra year of eligibility.
4: Oh. Well, too bad. But um
6: <laughs> I he's uh okay.
4: You know. In between. Um, I'll be interested to see how uh how much uh that Florida State name helps him out I guess. In terms of getting because he's kind of he's okay but doesn't really offer a lot of versatility in terms of water. He's thing. my he's
2: my number twenty linebacker, so you know, I don't I'm not crazy goo goo nuts for him, but he is the kind of guy that might hang around somebody's uh program uh for a while. What do you think of Boomer Mays? First of all, you know, great name for especially for a linebacker. Uh, Northern Illinois is Boomer Mays. Hmm, I've
4: not, I've actually not seen him.
2: Yeah, we'll so, check him out. He's worth checking out. He's you know, okay. number tw- my number 21 linebacker. So I'm not saying he's going to be a stud, but I think he's going to find his way into the league and hang around for a while. Uh, Jeff Schottmer of uh, UNC. Uh, North Carolina? Yep. The kid with the you know, he's kinda of rocking the uh Oh you know, the Matthews haircut, kinda of rocking the,
4: right. the, the, long, uh, the Hair. he's kind of camp body.
2: Yeah, he is um, kind of a camp body. But he's gonna be meet.
4: you know, a guy that hangs around probably for a while when someone's practicing. If you have it, a if you ever yeah, if, if you have a Rocky, put him in a bag and have him beat kind of, <laughs> during practice.
6: I mean, he's he's
4: okay, but not, uh, you know,
2: like practice squad, maybe? Yeah, exactly. I mean, once you get into the 20s, at most positions, you're talking about guys who are going to be, you know. Right. Undrafted free agents, tryout.
4: I mean, young. if we're going that route, what about Casanova McKenzie from Auburn? Well, see, most people have Casanova McKenzie (laughs) higher than 20-something on their rank. Wow. Or uh, Daryl Monroe, Washington State, right? Yeah.
6: Or, oh, oh,
4: Stephen Daniels from Boston College. I think that's the guy. I was going to ask you about Stephen Daniels from Boston College. Oh. Uh,
2: Um, not, Not until I talked about Ryan Simmons first and Joe oh. Walker I those two guys ranked ahead of him but uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Steven Daniels, I think is my twenty five I he's number twenty five. My rankings, yeah. Um He and Rafael Kirby are sort of fighting it out for the twenty fifth spot in my rankings. Um,
4: but yeah, go ahead. Talk about Steven Daniels. He's a weird looking prospect um you know big mm-hmm. short stocky yep. um can hit people mm-hmm. like just based on pure physics
6: yes it's yes, indeed
4: running backs don't like him i'll say that much um because they usually get rocked uh not necessarily the best sideline-to-sideline side type guy, 100%. No. But he's, it's he's interesting. He's going to
2: run about a, a 4.85 to 4.88. Eight right. He's not as...
4: But he's interesting as sort of a, okay, I'm Rex Ryan, and I'm going to do this split, and you, Mr. Stephen mm-hmm. Daniel are gonna take out the running back. That's kinda how I see him. Is there's some blitz guy out there that goes, That guy, let's get some of that and puts him in a specific package, puts him out there, he blows he takes out the running back. So he's like a suicide linebacker kinda. And then <laughs> there's <laughs> a new position. You got pursuit linebackers. You got uh, you
2: got pass right a
4: Kamikaze, there. Kamikaze. Kamikaze linebacker, Kamikaze right? Kamikaze linebacker. You take out the running back, and then I'll send in another guy right behind you on a stunt, and then he takes out the quarterback. So that's kind of how that would work. That's what I would do with Steven Daniels, because people, it's difficult to block him. Mm-hmm. In terms of as running back, because he's a thick, stocky guy, runs faster than you think. A sneaky speed in terms of his going forward, and then you and then he hits you. And usually, when he hits you, you're going back. Yes, so, um, so not a complete linebacker, but somebody I think would be interesting with a team that likes to do a lot of blitzes and stunts and stuff, right? He's a very,
2: very poor man's James Harrison, right?
3: Right, exactly.
4: A more uh, chunky James Harrison. James Harrison's pretty chunky. <laughs> he, ch- you know, you say chunky. When I look at James Harrison, James Harrison is the epitome of a guy. When I think of somebody who scares me, like Arnold Schwarzenegger doesn't, like Arnold Schwarzenegger doesn't scare me, right? Like a bodybuilder doesn't really scare me. A guy like James Harrison's body scares me. Yes, yes, because that guy is built to kill people. Yes. Um, it's exactly. not for show. No, it's not the Cute, it's to kill me. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's it's over. So like that's that's kind of that's what I like. I'm sure you could say he's chunky, but he's not chunky. He's deaf. That's what that is. Like that's the guy you don't want to see in a bar. I'd rather deal with the the bodybuilder than the James Harrison. Yeah, that's
2: true. I will never forget when he welcomed that poor kid Nate Soder, into the NFL one time. Um. I remember it was Solder's rookie season, and the Patriots were playing Steelers. And I I guess people hadn't fully informed him of how James Harrison operated. And so, you know, the kid comes out there to block him, and he just collapsed him. Like, he took his insides almost out of him. Like, it wasn't – he didn't try to spin or – Juke or whatever, the kid kind of came out there to block him, but he just crushed him. He just, almost like imploded him. It was, I was concerned <laughs> for him because <laughs> <laughs> Nate Solder. I mean, he's he's you know not a bad player, and of course, obviously, when you're a
4: solid,
6: um, really
2: tall,
4: you
6: know, arms very long. Arms. long,
2: very long. But I don't think he was quite, I don't think he'd ever seen anything quite like James Harrison before, is what I'm thinking.
6: (laughs) No.
4: I mean, Bill Belichick's scouting report on him was probably like, are you going to get James Harrison this week? And and Belichick was probably like, hee, 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 you know, (laughs) or something like that, you know. Um, No, he's never dealt with anything like that. No. No, he had not.
2: And I mean, it's the the crazy thing is, and you can sort of see. I mean, he's still angry, you know, that he didn't get drafted. He's, I mean, he's angry about a bunch of things, obviously. But you can almost kind of, I mean, I saw him play in college. He was really good in college. Um, it's not like he was just sort of sitting around not doing things. But you can kind oh of, no, he was good. I can't say he was pretty good. Yeah. Oh, very very. Good. But I, I can. I mean, once again, you know he. He's five ten and a half, or whatever. So I can almost kind of understand why people didn't quite see what he was. But, I mean, his ability to just, I mean, people talk about leverage. You want to learn leverage. There's the guy. Oh, my gosh. I have seen him just straight destroy enormous human beings, 320-pound dudes, 330-pound dudes. And I've seen him just
0: jack them
2: up. Like, like um, rooting out a, uh, a a tree trunk with a front end loader. I mean, it's amazing. Big dudes, big big dudes collapse before the might of James Harrison. Um, and that's a guy that lots of, like I said, people might dangerous
6: on. should be illegal.
2: Yes, right. But I mean,
4: undrafted.
2: You know, and of course, like I said, he still harbors resentments. Um, he
4: doesn't like anything. He doesn't, he doesn't, you know, doesn't like the fact he's not paid enough, doesn't like the fact that where his contract is. Doesn't like the way you looked at him. You know, doesn't like the fact you have cameras in front of him. Matter of fact, near the camera. You know, like he's, <laughs> and sometimes that's all it takes, man. I mean, would James Harrison be James Harrison if it wasn't for getting, you know, slighted, right?
2: That's a good point. Yes. Would, would, right, if Aaron Rodgers had been the first overall pick, would he be a very different quarterback? If Tom Brady were a first-rounder, would he still have this insane, you know, thing inside petulant, of him? Petulant, petulant yeah. hatred. Yes, the petulant hatred. Uh, but, yeah, back to the linebacker class. There's a couple of guys I wanted to hit on. Yeah. Um,
6: mm-hmm.
2: the, the thing about this linebacker class, and I can see why – some people might dismiss it. There's not a bunch of guys that quote-unquote look the part. I nope. Think that, I think that's what the real issue is. I don't mm-hmm. think it's so They're
4: much... They're all unique.
2: Right. I don't think it's so much level of play or production mm-hmm. or things like that that's turning people off. But there's nobody that really looks like Luke Keekley in this class or looks like... True. You know, who else an early uh, early first round run backer? Um, oh, uh, Brian Cushing. Oh, yeah, this he right, looks remotely like Brian Cushing in this class, <laughs> right? No. Uh, Keith Bullock. Uh... No, yeah, nobody looks like him either, right? So, right, yeah. looks like any of those guys in this class. Um, the guys in this class are shorter, not all of them, but most of them. Um, and the guys who are taller, they're they're not proportionally, height. Do they don't they don't carry their height the way that some of these other guys you mentioned carry it. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like there's there's nobody out here who in this class at least that looks like has the beautiful proportions that has the you know the the perfect V shape and is this height and has you know I mean we we talked about Anthony Barr. Right, looks like him in this class amongst no. the linebackers, certainly. So you've got this... Or group. Ryan Shazier, even, you know. Oh, there you go. That's a guy that looks like what people think a linebacker should look like, right? But, right, there's not a guy that looks like him. There's not a guy that has that kind of body or moves quite like that. There are some good athletes, very good athletes, but they don't... I mean, Jalen Smith is a really good
4: athlete, but they don't have the... The thing that people look for.
2: Well,
6: they
4: don't. They don't look like the type of linebackers that people used to get, right? And yeah. that's there's a interesting because like I was doing a lot of stuff on weight and linebackers and all that kind of stuff, and it really doesn't matter as much. I mean, in terms of like people going, "Well, linebackers have to be two hundred forty pounds." Well, Mike Peterson
6: wasn't two hundred forty pounds.
4: I mean, in nineteen, you know, in the nineteen nineties. Um, he ended up being, a, you know, from Florida, and he ended up being solid uh, across the board. Um, I just I, think people's perceptions, like with safeties in terms of safety evaluation, people have images of what linebackers should be when they really need to be focusing on what they do on the field versus how they look doing what they're doing on the field. So, like, a guy like Jalen Smith doesn't look – I know he's been compared to Patrick Willis, he doesn't look like Patrick. <laughs> um, right. But but what he does well is solo tackles. He tackles guys in space successfully well, covers guys in space successfully well. You need to be looking for what they're doing versus what they look like. Same thing with control Brothers. Control Brothers is not a very big linebacker. That doesn't mean he's not athletic, or that he's been hyper or he hasn't been hyper productive. He just doesn't look like a stud linebacker. You know, it's the same thing that kind of happened with, uh, um, oh, Levante David, right? You know, he was 6'1", 233, and people were like, he's really good, but, you know, he doesn't really look the part. He doesn't look like a Sunday, NFL Sunday linebacker. You know, he's too small. Or even Telvin Smith, right? Telvin Smith, 218 uh-huh. pounds. Right. So you win 18 pounds, Telvin Smith goes to the, goes to the Cedar pole. People go, wow, he's really, oof, that's really small. Goes to the combine, weighs the exact same weight, <laughs> you know, and he's been pretty productive. Uh, so I, I just think people need to kind of change their, their attitudes. Um, they just need to change the way they evaluate the pursuit linebacker because it's changing. You know, the sands are shifting, you know. <laughs> like things are changing rapidly. Is either you get on the bus and get that good to get those good good linebackers, or you miss it and you end up drafting a Bernardic McKinney, and oh. uh, you know <laughs> uh, who, who looks the part, right? I mean, he looked the part, didn't play the part. Um. So that that's my only
5: sort of.
4: Point. I guess. I think this is a really the fact that my point is. I think it's a solid linebacker class. I think any class is a solid linebacker or solid class when I can name five guys that I actually really like in the class at a position, and that's kind of like this class. There's five linebackers in this class that I really like and want and and want on my team. You know, like really badly. I really want Jalen Smith on my team. I really would love Reggie Ragland. I really want Kittrell brothers. I really want Tyler Mandy to Cambridge, you know. I I really want, you know, Jalen Reeves-Maven. I really want those guys on my team. Um, and that, that I guess that's just how I judge if the class is good or not. Is It's like the running back class last year. There were five running backs that I really wanted in that class, Yeah. You know? Other classes, it's not like that. Other classes are like, eh, I like three guys a lot. The other guys are solid. But mean, you know. So, I don't know. But I, I think this is a solid linebacker class. It definitely is a class that the depth, the, the good guys are going to be going off in the second round, third round, you know,
6: maybe in fourth round
4: in terms of value. So,
6: Yeah. I, I think that...
2: For a couple of guys, it'll be interesting to see where some of the guys have, like I said, a off end up. If, uh, you know, if somebody says this Matikavich kid has, you know, the most amazing or some of the most amazing tape I've ever seen. Man,
6: yeah,
4: he played in the AAC, though, right, guy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he did. And he's short, Yeah,
6: Yeah, right. And he's
4: yeah. white. Oh, oh, <sighs> oh. Short, white, and playing in a non-Power 5 school. <sighs> but the tape's really good. Okay. um, Day two. Right. Right. I mean, that, that I hate to say that about Tyler Medikovich, but unless he has an amazing senior bowl, which linebackers don't really have amazing senior bowls because uh, it's just not the place to really shine. I, I don't know how to explain it whenever you watch linebackers in the Senior Bowl, they don't really do, like, you're not supposed to go full speed hunters. You're not supposed to really lay people out and kill them, you know. Um, some of them do, and then they get talked to, like, hey, you know, calm, calm down, man, you know. We're just, you know, it's practice, you know, kind of thing. But uh, unless Tyler McKibben showed, like, an amazing Senior Bowl, like, had a uh, – who was the linebacker from Wisconsin – the really short guy that played for the 49ers, Um, and then Uh he... Borland? Yeah, Borland. Borland, like, had a decent... He had a really good senior bowl as a linebacker. And where'd he go? Like, fourth round? Third round? Uh, Something like that? Second?
6: Third. Third,
4: there you go. Third.
6: I think it was third.
4: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that's the fourth thing that's going to happen to Manekevich. Unfortunately. But yeah, um, I'll, I'll buy that. I mean, that's not. Doesn't matter that he produced like an elite, suit linebacker in terms of his production in college. Doesn't matter he probably gonna test for It Doesn't matter that he, you know, had really good tape.
6: He played at Temple,
4: and he's white. So they are too big, you know. It's just how the world works, man. You know how the NFL thinks.
2: Yeah, it's it's an interesting conundrum because uh, as much as you might like the idea of these enormous individuals, they they don't match up well with the things that happen to them. Um, but since we're talking about some of the bigger bodies, heavier guys, what do you think of B.J. Goodson at Clemson?
1: B.J. Goodson?
4: Hmm. Huh. Um, he, Is he a
6: defensive lineman
4: or no? Um, I think I'm thinking of someone else. He's an he's an inside linebacker. I mean, I think he may
2: occasionally uh, line up. You know, I don't, but I mean.
6: Oh yeah, gets
4: number, eh. number forty-four. Right. Eh, I mean. Eh. Okay, he with him a little bit. Doesn't really do a ton. No, that's true. it's not of stuff. stuff. It's kinda like um what's that? Sort of not, not salt and pepper, but um
2: DJ Fad, uh let me see, who could you mean? Um, um,
6: um
2: are you talking about um hold on, um PLC um, maybe? Like parsley. Oh, about parsley. Oh, see, we need salt and pepper. Oh, sorry, I just completely went oh. the wrong with that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no! I'm not. I'm not talking about uh you
6: know
4: salt pepper. You know. Okay, sorry. I, I'm talking about uh, uh, like in a soup. Being a gifter would be oh, like I got parsley.
2: You. Yeah, I See, yeah, I just sorry I went pioneering female hip hop groups.
4: is <laughs> 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 Uh, like, I, I, I just think it's like, he's just a guy in the defense that does a role, but he's not a big part of that role. So, oh, uh, close to defense is so odd to me. I mean, it's, it's interesting in terms of what they do, but it's just so odd in terms of what they have certain guys do. Like safety doesn't really do typical safety things. A hundred percent. um, People talk
2: about guys being rovers, and usually it's a misnomer. Guys usually don't rove, but yeah. in Clemson's defense, they rove. I don't, like, where? Are they? Oh yeah.
4: Sometimes I don't know where they're going,
2: or I don't understand what they're well, doing. Well, that's
4: <laughs> why. Well, that's why they do it <laughs> <laughs> because are like, I don't know where they're going, coach. <laughs> oh my god, yeah, it's like that, man. I mean, I there's teams that if they're just not if they're not prepared, it's over, man, because they're they're bringing pressure from every different angle and. Um, coverage mixing up, even this, they don't even cover guys one hundred percent. Like sometimes they don't even cover guys, but they're so confused about what's going on.
6: And it doesn't matter. They don't find them they, right? they
4: don't. They don't find them. That's <laughs> true. Like that's <laughs> that's the benefit to have a uh, you know that you that you can support each other. Goodson is like again, I yeah, a solid guy, but like I don't know about. I don't really see much else there, unless he like shocks the world. I guess. I don't
2: think he's going to shock the world. Um, let me go right into your backyard with Mister Kyrie Wilson. I'm assuming you've seen a great deal of him at Fresno.
4: Yeah. Um. Mm, I don't know, man. Um. I. I've tried to find Fresno State Defenders to actually feel good about, and I still haven't found one yet. Oh. Because they just have not – it's been a bad year for everybody. Oh. So, yeah.
2: So I should – my enthusiasm is what you're trying to tell me. (laughs)
4: About it uh, like, I can't, I just can't see any of them being good. Like, oh. they've been so bad this year everywhere across the board that I don't see how they can – and it's not to say they're – I know it's funny to say, like, not good at football, but it kind of applies to some of them in Fresno State <laughs> just to a certain extent. Like, they're not that good – they're okay. Some of them are okay, but I... No.
2: Okay. So I'm not going to... There's no ringing endorsements coming from you, is what you're saying?
1: No, not really. All right, then. Moving on...
2: Uh, Joe Walker, Oregon. Uh, what do you think of him?
4: Um, I mean, he's a solid kind of edge. Not edge, but, like, he blitzes a little bit, he does a little bit of this, does a little bit of that, has a big hit every now and then, and then the Oregon fans are like, ooh, look at the hit there, kind of thing. Um, but that's about it. Like, Walker makes a lot of highlight reels tight plays uh, but doesn't do a ton of them. Um, kind of a draft candy kind of linebacker. Got it. you know? So, but not like, like, there's guys like Rodney Hardrick and Tyson Coleman who pretty much do as much stuff as Joe Walker does in terms of impact. It's just Joe Walker is the guy that has all the, ooh, look at the hit there.
6: Look at that. Look at the hit. That's amazing. That's
4: so
2: you, stuff, might, yeah. you might
4: make the all-gift team at linebacker. Maybe. If you like Oregon. If you're an Oregon fan, you're like, oh, look. Look at that, you know, type thing. If you're an Oregon fan, he's like, he, he'll he make that because you're like, I have to put him there. He's an Oregon player. Right.
2: Um, we didn't, actually, it's a funny thing. I know you mentioned Blake Martinez. We didn't actually talk about him much. Um, oh. I feel like I feel like uh, he's, a, either people think he's meh for whatever reason or they mm-hmm. love him. Why do you think right. some people think he's meh and then why do you think some people love him?
4: I think people think he's meh because he's white-ish, right. and I think people love him because he does some of the similar things that Ragland does in terms of uh, getting in the backfield and hitting hitting people and stuff like that. Um, I'm actually, I don't love him, and I don't miss yeah, him. I think he's pretty good. Uh, I, I'm in the middle, actually, on him. <laughs> but I do, the more I've watched him this year, last year he was just kind of angry. This year he's actually really stepped up. As His instincts have improved a lot. been making more plays, especially in the backfield. Get you know, getting the backfield, getting getting to uh, running back stuff like that, Um, playing a little more sideline to sideline, covering a little bit better as well. So I I think he's a solid overall guy. Um, I just don't love him because like he does similar things to Ragland, but Ragland is like a different kind of guy. So like. Martinez does things similar to him, but he's not actually regular. Got it. Okay. But that's, that's the best way I could explain Blake Martinez, because he's a big – he's a fairly large linebacker, honestly. You see him on tape, and you see him go up against guys, you're like, oh, he's pretty big for a linebacker. Um, and then, you know, has some big hit moments and stuff like that. But, um, but I, I like him. I don't love him, but I like him.
2: Got it. And um, I guess staying in the conference, Jeremiah Allison, Washington State. Uh, what do you think of that kid? Washington State. I yes, don't
1: Jeremiah. think
2: I've
4: actually seen him.
2: Yeah, He's worth checking out.
6: Okay.
2: Um, you know, he's the leader of that defense. If that if that means anything, and it's one of the more improved defenses, probably in the country, um, from one year to We're the next. It's bound
4: to happen. Yeah. You know, I mean, they've had guys on def- on that defense that have been good. It's just they've had parts here and there that just didn't work or didn't click. Now it's all working. You know, it's a finely tuned automobile.
2: So, it is. It is um, different. It is a real difference from, yeah, from what we used to see. And uh, though obviously, you know, the Apple Cup didn't turn out as they would have would have liked. Uh, it was certainly a better year than they've had in a very long time. There. Oh
4: yeah, saved
2: Mike Leach's job. Yes, indeed. Because everybody.
4: Everybody was like, dead man walking, dead leash walking. So he
1: gets to stay there for a little bit longer.
2: Heck, they might have to. Um, I mean, there's a lot of people looking for coaches. <laughs> they might need to.
4: True. But Mike Leach has to make that decision, though, you know? Um, right. Right. right he'll probably be like I ain't leaving unless you pay me pay me money you know and uh get me a tricycle
2: (laughs) and a saber
4: yeah like a samurai sword you know (laughs) something like that and in addition like what do you need a samurai sword for he would be like doesn't matter what I want.
2: (laughs) Negotiations must be somewhat interesting. One thing, he has has a law degree and a doctorate. Now, I come to think of it. But uh, he's a a fascinating individual. Uh, There's a couple more linebackers I'll touch on. And I know you haven't seen too many of the FCS guys, so I won't mention as many of them as I, uh, you know, would but I'll touch on at least a couple of them I feel strongly will be invited to some of the major All-Star games and have a shot to be drafted. So maybe you can look out for them when the time comes. Uh, Let's see. There's a couple of guys, as always, in the CAA you know, which some people call the little SEC, which is, you know, maybe a bit of an exaggeration, but there's good talent in the CAA literally every year. And, um, this year is no different. So some of the guys I just thought I'd sort of make quick mention of, and like I said, if you find yourself at an All-Star game, you might want to throw your eyes in their direction. Um... Alex Green at Valparaiso. Somewhat interesting. I just have a feeling he won't test all that well. A guy who probably will test a little bit better is Corey Magwood at Furman. And he is, as they say, a tackling machine. Uh, Very productive tackler. A guy that people are pretty familiar with is Miles Killebrew, but he's actually sort of more of a safety type. Um, They play kind of a four... 2-5, Two five, so there's sort of a bl- blurring of the lines and whatever of, of what guys are, but yeah, he's I'm pretty sure he'll be a safety at the next level. Um, John Union at Drake is an interesting fellow in terms of evaluating linebackers. So if he finds his way to one of the you know major all star games, East East West or I think that's probably his best or perhaps even the um n f l p a game uh he's a kid from the suburbs of let's well, say suburbs i mean he's not really a suburbs but he's from some people call it the sort of greater Chicago land, but I think he's too far west to really even be lumped together with that but he's a kid that I saw a little bit in the um playoffs when he was in the state of Illinois and then uh you know, like I said, productive, tough, uh smart football junkie, you know, one of those kids who's you know, super film roomy kind of guy, um, holds all the tackle records at Drake, uh, if that means anything. Most in a season, most in a career, most in a game. Literally, all of those records belong to him. So he's he's the guy in terms of the records at Trey in terms of tackle. Uh, once again, a guy that I guess the main question will just be how he will t- how is he going to test? Um, you know, he's a five, ten and three quarters, 33 pound, stocky, fairly strong probably runs in the low 4.8s to high 4.7s, but, you know, if he ends up testing better than most people are anticipating, so that might help. So if you find yourself at an all-star game and he's there, and I'll mention one other guy that I think is worth mentioning, uh, Kendrick Van Akeren. Um Probably about. I think it's probably about the closest I'm going to get to produce that. Correct. Probably about about correct. Uh, he is one of the guys who uh, was up in Montana. Guy has a little bit of a cloud. to say cloud? But he was uh, arrested along with a couple of teammates in what may have been sort of a misunderstanding, blown up proportion. But either way, they got busted on felony burglary charges. Uh, eventually, the charges were reduced. But nonetheless, that's not a good look. And, you know, you never want to see that. But that seems to be sort of a blip-on-the-radar one-shot kind of thing. He's otherwise apparently been a pretty good kid. But uh pretty good athlete also. And uh Hawaii native a transfer student from Hawaii, in fact. It's sort of an odd transfer, you know, from Hawaii to Montana. I'm assuming he must have had some sort of connection to the program through a friend or relative or something, because you don't often see that. You know, it's not <laughs> not a... What, you don't often see guys making that move. No, no. But he's another guy that some people might sort of see as a, I don't know, we'll see. We'll see. Um, he's a smaller guy, but he's really productive. He's played some safety in the past. Got moved from safety to linebacker in 2013. And so depending on how he tests, you know, I guess some people might even want to try him at safety, but he's, you know, he's probably about 217, 218. Now, once again, nowadays, you know, it's not all that small, I guess, but, uh, well, if you're an FCS
4: guy, it is.
2: <laughs> yes, right, good point. I guess if you're, if you're doing the exact same stuff, but if he had the good common sense to play at Texas A&M, nobody would be quite so concerned. But uh, a guy, I don't know, like I said, I know you, it'll take you a while to get around to some of your FCS guys, but uh, I would put him on your list, I guess, is what I would be advising you to do.
4: Yeah, that's
1: true. And of course I guess we should talk about
2: the games a little bit and then before we close this thing out. So which games are you watching tomorrow and, and uh who are some of the players that you'll have on your, your list for
4: those games? Uh hmm, I mean it's rivalry week. So mm-hmm. lots of uh lots of things. Ohio State-Michigan, big game. Um, Ohio State's kind of imploding. You know, Krypton's Krypton's exploding. Urban Meyer is going to put his only son on a little, you know, on a little ship and send him somewhere else. Uh, But, yeah, (laughs) who knows where. But it's, I mean – you got your running back openly dissing your play Colin and yep. um I mean you got Cardell Jones and JC Barrett. JT Barrett's a broken man who's <laughs> turning into an alcoholic because of what's happening. And You got Carl Jones who I'm not gonna blame him for Ronda Rousey you know, losing, but <laughs> I'll say it, I blame Cardell Jones for that. Like Ronda Rousey probably would have won if it wasn't for Cardell Jones. So like it, stuff's happening in Ohio State. Mm-hmm. And uh Harbaugh is like a little like you know, sweep the leg, harb you know, type situation, you know. Um as I say the Ohio State very much this whole season has been a drunken a drunken boxing style of football where you think they're down and they come back and hit you and they're like, We're Ohio State, dang it. You know, like, get, get off me, get off me, get off me, Willis. No, I'm going to beat these guys, you know, type of team. And um, and last week they kind of sobered up. At least they, they need to sober up because uh, they're not as invincible as they probably thought they were. Uh, this whole scoring a touchdown and then putting your hand over your mouth going, shh, type stuff doesn't always work. It doesn't always accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. So, I I really want to see what happens in that game. Uh, I th- I mean, that's going to be the final game for a ton of players, obviously. Yep. As I've said many times, How State, I, I, I learned from lessons. <laughs> One lesson was the Florida defense, which everybody was like, there's multiple first-rounders in that defense, and yet, like, what, <laughs> two of them turned out to be decent? So... I'm just saying, like, I'm cautiously optimistic about Joey Bosa. I'm cautiously, cautiously optimistic about Von Bell. Everybody else, I'm still a little, you know, everybody, like Adolphus Washington is a guaranteed top 20 pick, and I kind of go, really? Really? Mm -hmm. Guaranteed to be a top 20 pick? Okay. All right. You know, type. I mean, that's just how I feel about it. Uh, Draft.
2: like a draft, uh, what do you call it, like a promise ring kind of thing?
4: Right, yeah. Um, Ezekiel Elliott, I'm a big fan of his running back. He's my top running back. At the same time, when you make comments like that, and I know it's like, oh, you're making a big deal, but I'm just saying it's an unwritten rule for a reason. You're not supposed to break the rule. So that's – and maybe it was just a guy that was just fresh so frustrated and everything else like that. And he just had to he was had voice his opinion. He was he was pretty hot. <laughs> pretty. Right. But at the same time, you're not supposed to talk about stuff, so to the media. Um like Urban Meyer said, wrong place, wrong time. Uh, kinda thing. But yeah. And then of course the Guy wants to see because they got tons of defensive players. Most of them are probably gonna return. Most likely. I mean, Jordan Lewis has already been. He said he's staying for another year. I kind of believe him Um, because Harbaugh has that effect on guys. You know, you will stay another year. I will Mm -hmm. stay another year. You know, type type you know thing on guys. Uh, And I like their defense. I think Jake Rudick Rudick is what he is. He's he's, he's, better ish. It's really hard by this it better, but okay. You can say he's better. So, well, however, it's happening, he's not
2: as bad as he was.
4: Right. Um, he's better. Uh, he's not going to win you games, but can he, is he better than J.T. Barrett and Cardinal Jones? It's debatable right now. <laughs> you know, that's like wow. kind of. It's debatable. I mean. No,
2: I know what you're saying. Really I'm is. not disagreeing. I'm saying, imagine how much that means the world has changed from the world of six months ago.
4: <laughs> right. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, Barrett was broken. And honestly, because, again, it's, a mo- it's emotion. Like, you're the leader of the team, and then you lose your job based on the an injury, and then you lose it, and then you go into a situation where I-, I wouldn't want to be Urban Meyer as a coach, because what do you do, right? <laughs> you have one guy who was a better quarterback who won you a bunch of games, by the way, And then you have another guy who got hot for three games and won you a championship. What do you do? It's a really tough situation there. And he tried to juggle it, and apparently it kind of blew up in his face to a certain extent. But, um, I mean, that's kind of interesting. That's just sticking. That's my top game, at least, of the week. Uh, Clemson, South Carolina, I want to see how... South Carolina's defense finishes out. I want to see how Farrah Cooper finishes out. Most of the guys that I – I believe most of the undergraduate guys at South Carolina are pretty much going to be gone, most likely, depending on who the coach is, uh, because, you know, Spurrier's gone. And I'd like to see Farrah Cooper in this class. I mean, as we were I think he's pretty good. He's not incredible, but he's solid. Um, And I also want to see Darrell Adams come out at tight end because I think the tight end class could really use Drew Adams uh, from South Carolina, even though he doesn't get a lot of hype and recognition. But um, I, I just think that that's, that's, that one, that's the one I guess I kind of want to because of that. Um, any more? North Carolina versus NC State is a big game, obviously. Yep. And uh, if North Carolina, I mean, there's a scenario where North Carolina could get in the Final Four really crazy. And I know you might go, but they lost to South Carolina. I go, well, Ohio State lost to Virginia Tech. So, you know, like it's, it's kind of that scenario where, like, North Carolina could be the sexy team in a way, you know, where they beat Clemson and they beat, you know, all these other teams. And they're like, oh, we only have one loss against South Carolina. But it was the first game of the year. It was an odd game too. It was on Thursday, I believe. You know, it was like wasn't even a Saturday game, and uh, you know they were only like a couple plays from being undefeated. If it wasn't for a couple of interceptions, they would have won that game. So, yeah, but yeah, I don't really want to see that game. Alabama Auburn is a given because, uh, you know, I in terms of college teams, I'm I'm an Auburn fan. I've been an Auburn fan for a while. I've been that way since I picked it when I was six years old, um, and they like, pick a team, I'm like, uh, Auburn, and uh, I had to deal with that for the rest of my life in terms of consequences, but, <laughs> uh, um, but uh, yeah, because, you know, it, it, there's not a region you could go to, it's not like, you know, as long as you're in the east part of Alabama, it's okay, no, it, <laughs> no, the, it doesn't matter where you are, <laughs> you know, there's no, like I said, all occupied territory. The right, entire state. It's no state. safe place. <laughs> it's no safe place to live. Even if you live in Tuscaloosa, there's Auburn fans that live around Tuscaloosa. So yeah, it's uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I want to see because I want to see how Alabama does, and I want to see what Gus Malzahn does. They're probably going to lose. Saban might, you know, put the nail in the coffin, make it a statement game, and you know, showing his dominance. But he has to be bored of it at some point, right? I mean, I don't know. but it, it just seems like one of those games where saved is just kind of like, "This is, this is my I enjoy, you know, other team's misery kind of games." I guess uh, he it could turn into that game. UCLA USC, I really want to see that game for many got you know, Josh Rosen um, against USC's defense, which I think he's going to have a really big day against USC's defense. To be honest with you, Bill, um, I don't. USC is a mess. In many ways. And I think that KCLA is going to have fun in that game. Uh, but yeah, let's kind of see that going. Oh, Miss Mississippi State. I want to say that game because I, I really want to see Mississippi State beat Ole Miss. I know it's going to be tough. And Dak Prescott's going to have to lead the way. But I think that might be a really good game for Prescott if he wins it to be like, hey, I'm a quarterback too, guy. <laughs> you know, and I can do stuff. Because uh, he, he's. The only reason why Mississippi State is, you know, 8-3 this year is because of Dak Prescott. Like, if he wasn't there, it'd be, yeah. it'd be you know. Pretty ugly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Florida State, Florida, I want to see that because that's just an interesting game also. Two teams that have had quarterback problems all sorts of stuff. They're still talented. Notre Dame-Stanford because that has a lot of implications, obviously, in terms of the national championship and all that kind of
6: stuff.
4: Notre dame you know, is gonna. I mean, who knows what happens? But you know, they're secretly part of the ACC. The ACC, excuse me. Uh, you know, they're they do a little thing and then they they magic, right? Transubstantiation, and then they become part of the ACC for one moment. So um, it might be that in Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, for obvious reasons as well. Kevin Peterson, Ogwa, and oh, uh, Oklahoma obviously has their little you know Tom Cruise quarterback. You know, we'll see what happens there, but um, yeah. That, so, like I said, there's tons of games. Like, yeah. tons. It's rivalry week, so every game is important. And after this week, it kind of slows down a bit. I mean, you have the championship week in a way, and then the bowl, Navy, and, then, and then the bowl, yeah, yeah, Navy. Yeah. Well, I mean, come on, Navy's gonna win, but you know that game,
6: <laughs> and then
4: uh, and then bowl season starts. Uh, so this is kind of like the last week of, you know, the regular season, I guess, in terms of college football. That's amazing. Yeah, I know. Wow,
2: how quickly it all happened. Oh, Jim. Oh, just when I was really getting used to it, almost over. Oh, well. Uh, tell people where you can find and follow your work, sir.
4: Oh, sure. Uh, you can find my work at uh, <clears throat> fansite NFL spin Zone. Uh, and com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Capital J L M L C L O L B L E L A R L N one. And yeah, that's about it. I've been doing various projects and stuff like that. Stuff that's probably not going to be done for months because that's just how long it takes, guys. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, a lot of people go market share and you poo poo it away, and I'm like, I spent three months gathering this data, and you treat me like this. I just feel it. sometimes, but. I'm just saying, it took me a long time to get all this information and tell you these things and you're you're a jerk, man. But yeah, uh I've been doing various things, they're probably gonna take a while to get it done. But uh, I will be doing that. Obviously so you've been watching tape re doing rechecks and stuff like that, checking up on guys, starting actually starting in the S T S guys but haven't really done fully into because 'cause I've just been trying to find tape on different guys. So um that's kinda where I'm at. But that's pretty much what I've done and um That's about it, so, yeah.
6: Great.
2: Well, as always, it's a pleasure. We were joined earlier by uh, Richard uh, Ridgway, who's going to be taking on some some work with us here at CDS, and more of a sort of part-time – well, I mean, we're all part-time, but you know what I mean, in a small capacity this year and probably being ramped up over time. And then, obviously, we had Isaiah in and out with us. We'll have a couple people on with us. Uh, In the morning when we do the, the morning show And as always it's an honor, a privilege, and a pleasure I hope everyone's having a great holiday season Which has sort of been kicked off recently Hope you had a great time with your family Jim And we will do this again in one week